nothing like a little rock and roll to get the old hey, juices you. flowing. Hands begin to juice. We got a juicy weekend coming up. Highs in the 80s, lows in the 60s. Personally, I prefer the highs. Sorry about that weird stuff at the end there. That's the video I was actually playing of Nothing But A Good Time by Poison. And the end of the video doesn't come out very well on the radio because you can't see what's happening. Anyway, welcome to Poker Fraud Alert Radio, the Druff and Friends show. Final show of the year 2014. Next week, we will not be on. But before you complain about that, you need to just take a moment and... Realize that I'm actually here during the week of Christmas. I could be gone, but I'm not. I'm right here giving you a show during the week of Christmas when most people don't have a show. Most radio shows are on hiatus already, and yet I'm doing this show for you during the week of Christmas. Now, it is true that I don't celebrate Christmas, (laughs) but, uh, you know, it's, it's still nice of me, right? Anyway. This is our last show. We'll return in two weeks, January 6th, 2015, for our fourth year, kind of, of Poker Fraud Alert Radio. I, I hate when people say things like fourth year, because the truth is the show has not even been on for three years yet. But we did begin in 2012. We actually started in the first half of 2012, so we had 12, 13, and 14. Next year will be 15. That'll be our fourth year for this show. But we haven't had three full years yet, so I, I won't overstate it. Show starting late tonight. If you are an archive listener, you don't even notice, of course. But for you live listeners, I think I owe you an explanation. And that is, uh, this site was getting hammered by hackers. Yes, uh, apparently the North Koreans are angry that we had uh, some Kim Jong-un... Uh, Kim Jong-un topics here on this show and on the forum and uh, for that reason they are now trying to hack this site <laughs> no, it's, really, it's not them but we are getting inundated by foreign hackers uh, that are trying to break into the site's root password and I've been uh, having to block them furiously but I believe they've been taken care of at least for now and the show can go on Uh, There is a rumor that I was delaying the show so I could watch the end of the games I bet on. Tonight I bet on a record eight NBA games, a personal record that is, or eight NBA uh, sides that is. Some of them were in the same game, but uh, eight different bets in the NBA. I had dreams of going 8-0. That would have been beautiful. Unfortunately, the first one immediately lost, the New Orleans bet. And uh, right now, as it stands, I'm 3-3 which means I could have done just as well flipping coins to pick these uh, sides on these bets. And uh, it's looking like I'm going to lose a fourth one pretty soon as well. So, not very happy about that, but it could have been worse, I guess. And uh, even though the eighth one's not even looking that great. So, three and five is definitely very possible and, in fact, likely at this point. But I'm, I'm hoping for better. I'm hoping at least to split it. So uh, I think last week was my peak. Last week I was 33-24 and 24 in the NBA, and I had the nerve to say that maybe I could become the new sports handicapper to the stars since that one guy we talked about here has been arrested. But uh, I think the NBA gods heard me and have made me start losing. Haven't lost that badly, just haven't done as well as I was before. Anyway, here are the topics tonight. I don't have a co-host, so... 
it's all on me, all on my own, and there aren't that many topics tonight either. So if we finish early, then I will take some free-form questions from the chat room or phone calls or whatever. And uh, before we get to the topics, actually, I should give you the usual speech. We have a free roll tonight, which is uh, a $50 free roll. It's Limit Hold'em tonight. Not No Limit Hold'em, but Limit Hold'em, my favorite game. I won't be playing, but it's still my favorite game, and I'm forcing it upon you because I do that every so often. Usually I make it No Limit, but uh, once in a while I make it Limit. And uh, here is the breakdown of prizes. First place will be $25. Second place will be $12. Third, eight. Fourth, fifth, uh, $5. Nothing for fifth. Uh, The four people who donated... We have uh, $8 from Danny Deadwood, $5 from FPF, FPS Russia. Beer and Poker donated $7, and an anonymous donor, the same one who's donated for the last few weeks, donated $30 this week to make an even 50 There's some guy who sent me a text message saying to include his 15 but I have no idea who it is, someone in the 704. So that'll have to wait till two weeks from now. If you want to reach me during the show... The free roll starts at 7.40 p.m. Pacific time. About uh, 17 minutes from now, you do have an opportunity to late register there for 25 minutes after the start time. It's in the No Fraud Online poker room in the top of the screen. Uh, You need a free account there separate from the forum to play in the free roll. And, and, if you want to qualify for the free money, you have to have a registered account on the Poker Fraud Alert forum dated June 1st, 2013 or earlier. If you do not have a forum account dated June 1st, 13 or earlier, email me dandruff at pokerfraudalert.com, dandruff at pokerfraudalert.com, and convince me you've been listening to the show for at least three weeks, and convince me of that by telling me some things that you have heard on the show that are not in the official show description, or you could just donate $10 to a future free roll, and you will instantly qualify. We have these requirements just to prevent people from showing up and playing the free roll, but not caring at all about the site or the show. We want the free roll money, which doesn't even come from me, to go to the community. Because it comes from the community, it should go to the community, not to free roll leeches. So, if you want to reach me during the show, there's a few ways to do it. You can go in the chat room, but to be honest, I don't read it very much. When I'm doing the show by myself, it's too hard to read the chat room and do a show and control everything else here. If you want to call me, the phone number is 775-FRAUD-55, 775-372-8355 is what that translates into. You can also call me on the Mount Charleston line. The Mount Charleston line is an old 70s telephone that sits on top of Mount Charleston in Las Vegas, Nevada, or near Las Vegas, Nevada, actually. It has snow on it right now. There's snow sitting on the phone at the moment, but it still works. It forwards to wherever I am. That phone number is 702-430-1808. 702-430-1808. You can call either number, that or the main number. Either way, you have to unblock your caller ID. Otherwise, you will not get through. You'll get a busy signal. If you want to text me during the show, it's the main phone number to the show. Is also our text number. 775-372-8355, 775-372-8355 is the text number to the show. You can text me d- during the show, before the show, or after the show. Any of those will work. I will read them on the air unless you ask me not to. 
Before we get going, let's take a call from what appears to be the 760 area code, but maybe is, maybe isn't. Call you on the air, and also please turn down your radio. Hey, how are you? Hello, who's calling, please? This is CL Crew 02. Okay. So what would you like to say here at the beginning of this very late radio program? Brett, I'll turn down my uh, laptop. Yeah, make sure to do that. All right, let it turn it down. Okay, so what do you have to say? What are you calling in about here right before we even get started? Well, I'm on that... uh... I'm still hearing stuff in the background. What is that? Well, that was the... My laptop on the background. Well, no, I'm still hearing something. I'm hearing in the background. Yeah, what is that? What is that sound I'm hearing right now? Yeah, that is that is the show. You got to turn down the laptop, please. Turn down whatever is playing the show in the background. Please turn it down. I heard it. Turn it down. It's my laptop. Okay. Well, is it down yet? We can't have that in the background. Here. There it is. Okay, good. It's gone. Okay, beautiful. So, so uh, okay, what would you like to say tonight before the show begins? All I'd like to say is thank you for having me on. Okay. I'd like to say I am hammered right now. Sail Crew 02 is hammered. Thank you for responding back to me. And uh, have a great show. Okay, tonight. thank you. <laughs> Enjoy thank being you. hammered during this show. All right. Okay, goodbye. A- this is a tough call. I have to admit it was a tough call. I appreciate the sentiment. I appreciate the call to thank me. But uh, the guy, uh, he wasn't all there right now. He, de- he definitely had too much to drink tonight. I hope he does not drive. I hope he's listening at his home. And... He did text me. I see he texted me, is the radio on tonight? So I guess he got the answer to that question. Here's some other texts I got. Be sure to include my $15 in tonight's free roll. That's from the 704. Don't know who that is. Raw Wolf texted me from the 205. Yo, can we talk gold and silver for five minutes, Druff? I guess I'll take a five-minute call about this gold and silver. I don't know what it has to do with this show, but whatever. From the 619 area code, if I was a superhero, my power would be to crease every fucking hat ever made. Death to the flat bill. So this guy does not like flat bill hats. If he had a superpower, the only thing he would want to do would be to bend everybody's bills of their hats that were flat. Uh, Let's see here. Somebody asking me, is the offer still standing to get them free tickets for Penn & Teller? That's always nice when people are texting me to get free stuff. I, I did mention on the show that I could do that, but here's here's what has to happen to get the free tickets for t- Penn and Teller. I can't just like get you free tickets and mail them to you and and you just go see it for free. It's a bit more complicated than that. Uh, I have to be in Vegas within seven days of when you're there. Otherwise, it won't work. I'm not going to go into why, but it will it will not work. Also, I have to have not used the benefit that gets me those tickets for myself during that month. Because I only get two free tickets per month. So if I used it for myself or anyone else, you will not get them. 
With that said, if I am in Vegas and you're within you're in Vegas within seven days when I'm there, and when I say within, I mean after, not beforehand. So you have to be there either the same time as me or up to seven days later. Then I will do you a favor, and I can't say will, but there's a good chance I'll do you the favor and get you those tickets if there are any left for me to get. So it's a pain in the ass for me, by the way. I can't just snap my fingers and get them. It takes some effort, but I I do it because I, I want to do nice things for people, and I know how it, nice it is in Vegas to get things for free. Everything's so expensive. I think Penn and Teller's like ninety five dollars. Uh, there's so many things that cost money there. I, I always try to help people save money as long as it doesn't put me out too much. So, uh, you know, text me on the radio number if you're interested in that, but a lot has to kind of come together for me to be able to do that. Let's see what other text we have here. Then we'll get going with the agenda. I'm not going to go into this whole exchange. I had an exchange with someone, a listener to this show. I won't say who it is, but, uh, a regular listener to the show texted me on December 17th that I was wrong about the promotional gift card and coupon thing because I was talking about on the last show how I once tried to use a coupon, which is always available for a particular barbecue place, and combine it with a promotional gift card that they had given me as a gift for buying a regular gift card at full price. And um, it said nothing on the gift card that you can't combine it, but then they wouldn't let me combine it. So I was saying that was wrong. They did back down and honored it for me after I complained. But uh, this individual was insisting that I was wrong with this. That And here's what he said. Uh, These are two different promotions, not the same as a regular gift card and coupon. They didn't give in because you were right. They gave in because you were probably acting like a douche. And they took the high road Well, I can tell you I wasn't acting like a douche I was polite about it And I wasn't uh, making threats I'm never going to come back or anything like that I just, uh, I was just pointing out to them That if you sell someone a gift card For full price It was a $50 gift card And I paid $50 for it And the reason people are buying those gift cards During a particular promotion they're having is that you get this $10 extra gift card if you buy the first one. Now, the extra gift card, the promotional gift card, has a few restrictions, like when you can use it. You had to wait like three weeks to start using it, and then you had like three months to use it, and then it goes bad. And that I understood, and that totally is within their rights to enforce. Uh, but uh, it didn't say anything about combining it with a coupon. And my point was, hey, look, um, if it doesn't say anything that you can't do that, and the coupon's always available for the same amount of money, $10, uh, then the gift card, the promotional gift card is worthless, totally worthless, uh, unless, uh, you know, it, unless you can combine them. And I said this is a very important thing to make clear to people. Since so many people use that coupon, you can't give them something they think is worth $10 in exchange for buying a gift card when in reality it's worth nothing. So I said that's pretty bad to do. It's like a bait and switch on the customer. It's like saying, hey, buy this, and we'll give you this extra thing. And then only later you found out the extra thing is worthless, which it was. It's worthless if you can't combine it with a coupon, which is worth the same. So that was my point. And that was uh, – now, if they put on there you can't combine it with a coupon, then fine. Then you know what you're getting, and if you still buy it, then that's on you. But they can't surprise you with that when it come to, comes time to use it. So that was my point. 
I'm not going to read the whole exchange we had back and forth about the whole thing. It wouldn't make good radio. But hey, I appreciate everybody listening here. If you agree with me or disagree, I know this guy's a regular listener, and uh, it's actually someone who is a good poker player too, a winning poker player, and I'm glad to have him listening. It's just uh, he disagrees with me on this. I disagree with him, and uh, you know, so I read what he said, and I gave my little response, and that's it. All right, here's the agenda tonight. And as I said, if we get through this quickly, which we might, then we'll do just a kind of free-form thing at the end of the show. The World Series of Poker 2015, usually you don't find anything about the next year's World Series until, eh, like, February. But they're a bit early this year. This year they have released some important information about the 2015 World Series, including a tournament that might get over... 10,000 people. Yeah. I don't mean 10,000 buy-ins. I mean like 10,000 plus separate individuals. It could be way more than 10,000. It could be 13,000, 15,000. Uncharted territory here. I'll tell you about what that tournament is. It's a new tournament. And uh, what else they've included in the announcement regarding the 2015 World Series. And some changes that they're going to make. And... A personal communication I had today with Seth Polanski, who's the uh, VP of Communications and also a a vice president of uh, Caesars Interactive. He's very closely tied with the World Series and WorldSeriesOfPoker.com. And the good thing about Seth Polanski is that he responds to me. Uh, You know, I can't say that Seth Polanski ignores me or brushes me aside. Whenever I have a concern or a question about something with the World Series... I email it to him, and the same day I get a response and a detailed response. So I'll give Seth Polanski credit for that, that he's accessible. So he gave me an answer to some things I was wondering. I'll read that on the air as well. Well, you've probably heard about Sticky Rice One. If you haven't heard of him, I'll tell you about him tonight. But basically, this is a guy who is a recreational player, kind of a degenerate a guy who clearly doesn't care too much about money. He might even have a good deal of money already, even though he's a young guy. But uh, he luckboxed into about $40,000 in Bovada, and then he decided to broadcast his subsequent play in cash games on a site called Twitch.tv, which is uh, it's like a personal video streaming site. It's very similar to Justin.tv. In fact, I think it's like, like the next version of Justin TV. I think it's the same company. But anyway, uh, he's really been capturing the attention of the poker world, especially during kind of a slow time for poker news at the moment. And uh, I'll play one of the videos that he made, and uh, he's been streaming the whole week. You might still be able to catch him. I don't know if his account's busted yet, but we'll we'll talk about what's happening with Sticky Rice 1 and whether Bovada is managing to capitalize on the publicity he is bringing. Well, two stories about Caesars. First of all, Gary Loveman, who's currently the CEO of uh, Caesars Entertainment, a lot of people are calling for his head. Caesars is in all kinds of trouble. Uh, They've made a lot of bad investments. They're very bad operationally. There's a lot of criticism that can be levied upon Caesars. And, of course, when a company's not run right and and when it's... uh, failing, the CEO is the most to blame. The buck stops with him. 
Well, it now appears, even though Gary Loveman is still the CEO, it now appears that a replacement is already being groomed. And it looks like that Mitch Garber, who's currently the CEO of Caesars Interactive, is probably going to be the new CEO, though not immediately. But Garber has already moved up, and we'll talk about what's going on there and what you can expect. Caesars has changed their resort fee policy as of November 11th. I should have announced it on November 11th. Uh, Frequent co-host Daredevil actually posted about this on Poker Fraud Alert's forum, but this is the first time we're talking about it on the radio show, and there's a a bit more to it that I don't think Daredevil posted about, but uh, I'll tell you how the resort fees have changed and how it will affect you. William Hung, I'm sure you remember him from American Idol, singing singing, uh, She Bangs. Uh, William Hung has... Retired from singing, I think he's given up his dreams of being a rock star, but uh, maybe he has new dreams. William Hung played a poker tournament at the Aria, and he won. Yeah. Talk a bit about that. The Taj Mahal in New Jersey. There's been a lot of rumors and... News stories about it and its impending bankruptcy. It's being rescued for the moment by Carl Icahn, of all people. But he's in the middle of a big battle with the labor unions there. We'll talk about that. And right now we're going to pause our agenda to take this phone call from the 347 area. Hello. Hey, what's up, Todd? So who's this? Who is this? Uh, What was that? Who, are you, who is this calling? Uh, the Spartan. I, oh, the Spartan. I, I, okay. I, I on your yeah, okay. So the Spartan, for those of you that don't know, he's a, uh, a listener of this show. And uh, hmm, another call here? I wonder what this call is. I can't take it. All right. So the Spartan is a listener of this show. How long have you been listening? I'd say about six, seven, eight months. Okay. So he's been a regular listener for that time. And uh, the Spartan is actually a uh, a Tea Party supporter. You know, some of you people here on this broadcast that uh, politically, uh, you can probably tell that I'm conservative. But this guy is even more conservative than I am. And uh, he actually criticized me recently for not being conservative enough. But uh, what do you have to say on tonight's phone call? I mean, this is the first time you've called uh, the show, anyway, but uh, what would you like to say tonight? Uh, I love the show, Todd, and I respect all the hard work you do. Um, I, I'm here to represent the rec players because, you know, I, I've only been playing poker for about five years mm-hmm. and I play low, medium stakes and, you know, and I play every day and what Poker Stars is doing, kind of like separating the pros, it's a good thing. We all want uh, the, the online business model to succeed. And if you don't do that, you're not going to have the wrecks putting money in the way we do. We, you know, we spend money every day on these things, and we rarely take out. So okay, we do so, it just for a lot of poker. So let me ask you a question here. Since you're a recreational player and you're saying that uh, you know, you're the type of player that a lot of them probably want to play, they're the pros who are really good, uh, what, turns you, what behavior turns you off that you see when you're – I know you can't play on Poker Stars because you're in the U.S., but uh, when you play on – any poker site, what behavior that the pros do 
pisses you off to where you don't want to come back? Okay, generally I play on ACR and every now and then full flush. But when, when, when you want to sit down and you see the same names, the same five, six, seven, eight, nine guys playing on ten different tables, whatever they're doing, uh, you know, it's just a turn off. I come home from work, I want to spend a few hours, relax, you know, have my doers on the rocks, and I, I don't want to play with these guys. I just want to play with like-minded guys. We'll throw ten, twenty, forty dollars down. And, and enjoy some poker for a couple of hours. Now, when you play at those limits, though, are there really a lot of pros around? I think the pros are playing the higher games. Well, well not, not the pros. You know, you know, I, I'm, I'm a new guy at this, and, and forgive me for my terminology. But the grinders, you know, they're sitting there at 12 tables, and, and, and they're just looking at, as we say, bum hunting. So, so are you talking about things like a, like a 1-2, no limit, things like that? Um, yeah, yeah, it is the small tables. I'll be honest with you. I'm not one of the big shots around here. No, no, I'm just wondering because I think the the people who are the grinders, most of them, at the very least, I think play one two and not really much higher and not much lower than that. Because uh, once you get too low, there isn't enough money to make it worth grinding. Yeah, it's, it's one twos, and I play my tournaments, and you see the same names over and over again. And I like that poker star separates the guys that really cash out a lot. To the guys, though, perhaps they don't cash out as often. Mm-hmm. It makes it more enjoyable. It makes you want to play. If that weren't the case, there's times I just I just log on. And you know what? I just log off and close the laptop and say, forget about this. I'm going to do something else. Well, okay. I can see your point here. And, like, I'll give you an example where I agree with you. And this was uh, – there were some sites, especially the smaller ones, not like Poker Stars, which always has a ton of action. But I'm talking more in the past. But, like, you'd go on there and you'd look at – games to play and you see the lobby and it's like one 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 as far as who's at each table like there's a person sitting at like 10 different tables by himself right. and you know for sure this is a bum hunter and you, you know and it makes the lobby look terrible because you have like you scroll down and you have like hundreds of people sitting by themselves or at least hundreds of tables open and it's like the same 10 people and and you know yeah. it's obvious what's going on and it just makes the lobby look stupid because you know the recreational player thinks okay why why do you have all these people sitting by themselves and not playing each other it doesn't take a genius to figure that out and i thought that looked terrible and i you know some of these sites started to take action against that such as uh only letting people sit at um you know empty tables more you know like a maximum of two or three or something where they, they put limits on that. And then I, I agree with that because I think it makes the lobby look terrible and intimidating to the recreational player. And that, that helps nobody. So on that, and it takes away the, sorry, go ahead. Sorry. Yes. Yeah, so on that type of thing, I, on that type of thing, I agree at the same time. I, I have to say where I disagree is that I think when you start uh, taking, when they start making too much effort to do things to uh, either you block the pros from playing people who aren't as good or, uh, or or try to tilt the playing field so the recreational players have a better chance or, or start to corrupt the game of poker to where uh, it puts more of a gambling element into it, such as like that uh, spin-and-go thing. I think when you start doing things like that, uh, even though it might make the recreational players last longer, I, I think it starts to corrupt the game of poker, which, uh, like it or not, is a game where the... Uh, there, there is a skill difference and, and where the yeah. more skilled player is going to win and, and you start interfering with that and you start corrupting it and a lot of times these moves backfire. As I decided, as I described last week, it turned out from the study on the microgaming network that the anonymous tables which were meant to stop the bum hunting and that were meant to make it better for the recreational player actually made it worse for them. 
because it actually made the pros, in my opinion, I think it actually made the pros play better when they can't see who they're up against. Yeah, so, or we can't recognize who they are, or the rec players like me can't recognize the same names on the 10 yeah, different, on the 10 different th- That's a good point, too. I didn't think of that, but that's a good point, too. So, yeah, sometimes these things backfire, too. So that's why I just don't like these things. I, I And it's an unfortunate fact that, you know, in the perfect world, everybody who sits down at a poker table would have equal skill. And... Uh, and from there, it would be decided by who's playing best that day or who gets luckier. But it's not going to ever be that way. There's always going to be better players and worse players. And I, I just... You know, I agree with you. You know, I, I'll retract a little bit my, my adamancy about what I was saying. I'll retract it because, I mean, I do want to challenge. I, I, every now and then, when somebody beats me, it, it kind of like gets me in the game. I want to beat him back or whatever. But... Uh, you know, but just us players, we just want to sit down, you know, unwind after 10 hours of work, have a scotch, and relax for a couple hours without somebody hitting us over the head with a club. But I understand what you're saying, man. I, I understand what you're saying. But yeah, it has to be happy to be him. And maybe poker stars is doing that. And maybe, they, not, you know, maybe just a little bit. I mean, it, it, I don't know what to say. Well, poker stars, I don't think they're necessarily trying to help the rec players. They're just doing whatever they can that they think will draw in more money for themselves. And that's that's what I'm trying to separate here. They're not really doing this in a quest to help the rec players. Whatever they're doing is just to make more money. And that's yeah, very I, clear. I, I'll be honest with you. With HGR, with when I see that, and I actually prefer HGR, when I see the same 10 names, I'll shut it off and then I'll just switch to full flush, which is pretty much more of a friendlier environment. Um, and, and and I spend less money on ACR, even though I, I prefer ACR. So, you, you know, we all want the online business model to work. So there has to be a happy medium, you know? Yeah, well, uh, look, I can understand from the point of view of the recreational players how some of these things can be unpleasant. Of course, it's, it's always more, much more pleasant to win than lose. So when you're already losing regularly that's already unpleasant to begin with and if you keep seeing the same people over and over and if you see the second you sit down that a table that was empty becomes full with 10 people uh that's that's not a fun thing that's not something you enjoy and not even for you no yeah i know so i i can i can understand that where this turns off some recreational players the problem is what do you do about it? You can't tell people, well, you can't sit down if you see a fish. There's no, you can't make a rule like that. So these are, unfortunately, yeah. these are some things that are that will turn off the recreational players. And I, I think they do. They have to come up with some things to keep it from being too extreme. But what I've been criticizing poker stars for is that uh, they're just aiming to make the, what they think is going to be the maximum amount of money for themselves rather than uh, doing anything for poker or for but, recreational but players. They're trying to make the cash outs, you know, everybody pretty, pretty much even. I, I understand what you're saying. I, and just a quick, a quick note, Todd, and, and this is like out of left field. Um, when I download your podcast at a Stitcher, do, you, do, they, do they report their ratings to you, like having people download your podcast from Stitcher? You know, they do. I, I have to go look it up. It's not an, They don't report it directly to me. I have to go into their tools and look it up. But, yeah, there is. Every time someone plays from Stitcher, I, I do see it. And, and I do see there's like 125, 130 people who have it in their playlist, too. Uh, so, oh, great. Okay, great. So, yeah. I, 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 didn't know, I just want to say uh, thank you for what you do. And I really look forward to your show every week, man. No, I, I appreciate that. And I know you've been listening, and I appreciate that. And uh, thank you for calling, and thank you for being a listener to the show. All right, man. You're great, bro. Have a okay. good night. Thank you. So, yeah, he, uh, in addition to his uh, conservative politics, the Spartan also has uh, expressed concern as a recreational player 
that he thinks that the pros are not treating the recreational players very well. And he actually was applauding some of the efforts that have been made to thwart the pros from making as much money as they do. But uh, you know, I gave the other side to that. And I, I, I do see where he's coming from, though. And I also think that some pros take it too far, like the thing I described with the lobby. I mean, uh, uh, a good example is old pokerroom.com. It was, like, embarrassing. You'd open the thing up, and it's one 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 I'm like, who wants to play here? Who's ever going to want to play on a site where you have, like, hundreds of tables with people sitting by themselves and hardly any games going? Very unappealing to anyone to see that. And as I've said on this show before, if you are a rec player, don't ever sit at a table with a guy sitting by himself because it's almost always a pro. It's almost always a, a good player sitting by himself. I don't sit with people sitting by themselves usually. So if you're a rec player, I would suggest sitting in existing running games. So uh, finishing off the agenda, and then we'll get to the topics Party Poker New Jersey is going to add waiting lists in the year 2015. Believe it or not, they don't have them there. They could. It's actually in the software. They've actually turned off the waiting list, but they're going to turn them back on in 2015. So uh, I'll describe. I'll discuss why I think there were no waiting lists before and uh, whether waiting lists help or hurt the recreational player. Kind of good tie into the last phone call we got. Finally an editorial on what Caesars needs to do to survive. And I'm going to read a comment before I even do this editorial. I'm going to read a comment from a listener named Blue Odom, who's in Canada, who already didn't like the plans for that. Sorry, it wasn't from Blue Odom. It was from Handicap Me. I don't know why I thought it was Blue Odom. Anyway, uh, Handicap Me said, I highly doubt that you know the answer to this as far as what Caesars needs to do to survive. You think you do, but you don't. The only way for them to survive is to restructure their debt, not worry about your little customer service issues. Really interested to hear your thoughts, but in this case, I can almost guarantee that you will be incorrect. Look, I'll agree with you that that is what they have to do, restructure their debt. But that's not what I'm going to talk about. Not because I don't think it's important, and I, I think what you said is correct, that that is the number one thing they have to do, and that's what they are doing. That's what this bankruptcy coming in January is going to be all about. But And that's what these spinoff companies are all about, and you know that better than I do. You, you once came on the show and described everything. But uh, I'm, we're going to be saying what Caesars needs to do operationally to survive once they've done this, once they've restructured the debt and are ready to go forward if this is successful, which it may or may not be. But uh, if it is successful, what do they do from there? How do they become a successful company from that point? And that's what I'm going to talk about. But you are correct that the first step and the most important step is to restructure their debt. But I, I'm going to discuss what they have to do after that. And it's not just customer service issues. In fact, it's uh, that's some of it. But uh, there's bigger things I'm going to talk about that Caesar needs to do that they're currently not doing or at least not doing right. Take a look in the chat room here. Again, 775-FRAUD-55, 775-372-8355. Apparently, Bad Guy 23 is playing the poker tournament, which started uh, 13 minutes ago on the No Fraud Online Poker Room. He's complaining that I'm a big Jew and that I shouldn't have made it limit hold'em. <laughs> I can't believe we hold free rolls here and still get complaints. Like, 
Really, Poker Fraudler has given away more money than any poker radio show or podcast in the world. We give away like between fifty and one hundred fifty dollars every week here, sometimes more. Now, yeah, it's not money from me, but still, but still, I mean, it's given away. It's a free roll. You don't need to do anything to qualify other than just be a listener here. He still complains. I can't believe it. I think of all the the Vicodin that a uh, bad guy could buy if he wins this thing. Okay, probably not very much, but some, at least a few pills. All right, from the chat room, uh, JSTAT says, the private equity owners of Caesars looted the company. Um, Matos says, there's too many casinos already. That's why Caesars is failing. Jay Acosta is already bored. He said, yawn. Fuck it, I'm out. I'll listen tomorrow. <laughs> Something's boring him here. Uh, Blue Odom said it freaked me out there because uh, I quoted something he didn't really say. It actually handicapped me. He said, I don't know why I put it on Blue Odom. Probably because he commented about something else today to me. I uh, confused it. Uh, China Maniac pointed out that a recreational player just sat alone on Bovada. Yeah, it happens sometimes on Bovada. I'll see some sitting alone, but it's it's so hard to tell who's who because of the anonymous table. So usually if like there's a guy sitting alone, I, I'm not going to tell you exactly the method I use, but I have one way to tell if someone sitting alone might be a fish, but usually I just avoid the whole thing. Just say, screw it, I'll wait till there's at least two people playing. Now, if I'm sitting alone they sit with me, then I'm very happy to play them because I figure it's either a rec player who I can crush or it's a pro who's going to realize I'm a pro and is going to quit me pretty fast. Because really on, on Bovada, there's, because there's no names on there, there's no egos. So people are very willing to quit against other pros on Bovada. Like, people are not there just to be king of the hill over there. They're not there to show off how much they can win, who they can beat. They just uh, ditch out if they see you're a pro. So, And I can tell pretty fast, too, if someone's uh, a good player. 516 Erico texted me, Get bad guy on. Guy's money and one funny motherfucker. Team MLK versus bad guy would be epic for holidays. Miss the good old days. Read my text, Baz. Well, I just did. As a Canadian, also this guy, this uh, 516 person. Uh, 614 texted me, you really think there aren't players grinding out a living lower than 200 no limit online? 200 being 1-2. Uh, there probably are, but I just don't think there's many. I, I think at some point you just get too low to where you can't really make a living playing poker. Maybe if you 18 table or something, but it's hard to imagine being a poker pro playing 50 cent a dollar. Bobby Orr has been hassling me all day about Windows 8. Uh, here's the story. This laptop here is on its last legs. It's a five-plus-year-old laptop. It's five years and two months old. My laptops do something funny. My last two laptops have lasted five years and performed very well, and then right at the five-year mark go in the toilet. So this laptop really is in the toilet right now in several ways. I won't bother to explain everything wrong with it, but uh, even the case is falling apart. Even the case is like coming up. It's it's a big mess. Now, I'm not just being a cheap Jew here. I want to get a new laptop, but I, I hate Windows 8 so much. Look at this, a phone ringing in the background. Look at this. I don't even recognize this number. See, 916. Someone in Sacramento calling me. It's, I'm not answering. Look at this. This is this is so unprofessional. Okay, I'm just going to pretend it didn't happen. 
Bobby Orr has been saying Windows 8 is better than Windows 7. It's not. I, I'm waiting for Windows 10, which, you know, they're skipping 9. They're calling it 10. I'm waiting for that to come out. I don't like Windows 8. I think the interface is terrible. I think Windows 7 was good. I've always said Windows comes out with a good product every other time because basically every time they follow a good product, they change something and they don't do it right and then they get all the feedback about what's wrong and then they make a good version of it the next time out. So Windows 98 was good. Windows 2000 was bad. Windows XP was good. Uh, Windows Vista was bad. Windows 7 was good. Windows 8, Windows 8 was bad. And now the next one, Windows 10, is probably going to be good. And uh, what I was already seeing, the little previews I've seen of Windows 10, it looks a lot better. It looks like what Windows 8 should have been. The problem with, with uh, Windows 8 is that they just assumed that uh, everyone's going to use it like a tablet. They assumed when they designed Windows 8 that everyone was ready to move to a tablet type operating system but we're not we're not when you're on a laptop you're not on a tablet and a lot of people don't have touch screens and if you do uh you don't really want to use them all the time if you're on a laptop it's just something poorly designed to work on a laptop windows 8 or a desktop windows 8 fine you have a tablet but uh, if you don't have a tablet windows 8 sucks so it's a very tough and counterintuitive interface to use Windows 8. And I'm not the only one who thinks this. You Google Windows 8 and you'll see all these complaints about it. Pretty much saying the same thing as I'm saying that the interface sucks. So I have a feeling Windows 10 is going to be what Windows 8 should be. So I'm really waiting for Windows 10 to come out and I don't think this laptop's going to make it. It's kind of like waiting for a new model of a car to come out, but your old car is breaking down and you know it's not going to make it all the way till when you need the new car. So it's kind of like the same thing here. All right, enough about Windows 8. I, I don't know why Bobby Orr loves it. He's like the one person, I think, on Earth that loves Windows 8, except maybe Bill Gates. So let's talk, let's talk about the World Series of Poker. Uh... You know, I've had some heartbreak at the World Series recently. I can only take playing tournaments about once a year. They they stress me out too much. I don't have the right personality type for tournaments. I don't. Um, In order to have the right personality type for tournaments, uh, there's a few things you have to have. You have to be someone who likes to gamble a lot from hand to hand. You have to be someone who is searching more for the big score than a steady win, and that's also not me. Uh, I'll, I'll talk more about it in a second, but Caller, you're on the air. Shut the fuck up. Running this bullshit tournament right before Christmas when you know I need the money, man. Bad guy, why are you calling from a 304 area code? Because I'm up here getting inside information on the West Virginia Bowl game, motherfucker. That's what I do. <laughs> you, you got so it, who, man? Whose phone why are you, you using? Tell people, why do you have to say where I'm calling from? I always Jesus say the Christ, area. Man. I always say the I area codes out here. That. I knew you. I, I knew you were going to say that. That's why I should have fucking uh, you, you emailed you or private message. Well, that's you. right. Exactly. I always say whatever area code you're on the air, and I was just surprised. I expected like uh, you know, just some random listener, not you. 
I know you were. I was going to fuck with you, and I thought I was a pimp again. <laughs> that's, that's it's kind of like uh, the terrorists on nine eleven. It only works once. You know, you can only pull this once on me. Sorry, it worked good though. It worked well, but only once, just like nine eleven. So okay, uh, so bad guy, uh, Team MLK. By the way, if you want to call in for this uh, final show of two thousand fourteen, if you're listening, you can call in. We haven't heard from him in a while though. But uh, okay, so you're in West Virginia. What you got a tip about a game there? So you're there to bet on it or something? I'm here. I'm here intimidating motherfuckers, making sure what's going to happen on that bowl game coming up. <laughs> no, man, I'm just messing with you, man. Okay. No, I'm just, I'm just out and about, brother. How far is uh, West Virginia from where you are in, in the Pittsburgh area? Uh, it depends on what part of West Virginia. Well, where you are you right now. The one strip club when I was like 16, 17, it's like 40, not even 35 minutes. To the two casinos, 45 to Willen, about the same to Mountaineer, mm-hmm. and to Morgantown, like the. You know, the college, that's about, I don't know, an hour and a half. Yeah, well, uh, so... You said to go to West Virginia to get beer on Sundays because you couldn't get it in Pennsylvania unless really? you got six-packs. You can only get two at a time. Really? So they you... start selling beer on Sundays around here and liquor. You know, they don't sell liquor in, like, the grocery stores and shit around here. Hmm. Yeah, you uh, you sure you're not uh, running from anything right now? <laughs> <laughs> what, the law, man? I mean, I'm always running from the law, but no. Yeah, let's no, let's I mean, put someone else on the phone here. Put so, me in jail for child support again? Unknown caller. Okay, so uh, caller, you're on the air here for the 410 area code. Bad guy's calling in from Virginia because he's running from Pittsburgh where he owes all that damn child support he'll never pay. <laughs> <laughs> is that a double? Uh, you know, it is me. Why don't you come and do something about it, too? <laughs> Shut the fuck all up, you, do, you fucking you faggot. That's your problem. That's why you can't get a woman. That's why you sleep with these women that just want to spread the legs, have children for you, and then claim money that you'll never pay because you speak like that. Hmm. He's right, man. I can't argue that, bro. Wow. Good wow. That's not, this is not like the Team MLK thing. It's I'm, like, I'm, it ends I'm right there. Well, I'm not going to make a fucking faggot famous. I mean, that's what he wants. I mean, I can tell what this guy looks like. He got big teeth. I don't know why you, you keep just talking tell... about yourself. I don't like know that. why you keep you're doing this. You're you're doing this. It's a fucking, it's a Baltimore, it's a Baltimore faggot. A Baltimore faggot. Four one zero Baltimore, right, Drew? Wow. It is. Yeah. Oh, I'm so scared. You can talk but, a lot. I mean, listen, I mean the, the way he talks, you can tell he's a fucking nerd, man. Listen to him. I mean, come on, bro. Hey, get one of your girls to call in here or just show them. Show them with you. Show your fucking face. Okay, we, we lost him. Somehow he, somehow he disappeared. Get off my coattails. Okay. Yeah, he hung up because he wants to get famous, man. So, I mean, whatever, dude. Okay. So, bad I guy, mean, but why are, you, why are you there? Why are you fucking teeth. Why are you there in West Virginia? What's the reason you're there right now? I was at the casino, man. I'm on my oh. way home. All right. Okay, so uh, why are you complaining? How are you even in the free roll if you're on your way home? Like, how I'm are you just playing? I'm fucking around, dude. I mean, I didn't know it was women, though, at first. But you had, like, a laptop with you where you are? Yeah. Huh. 100%. And then you can play it on our free roll. Wow. So, uh. Yeah, I decided to come on today. I didn't know if you were going to have a show or not, man. Yeah, yeah. I'm Jewish. I can have a show during the Christmas week. It's the last night well, of Hanukkah. Hanukkah too, right? Well, it's the last night. Yeah, the last night of Hanukkah. I'll tell you, people get the worst presents on the last night of Hanukkah, and uh, because what happens is the parents they they get tired of having to give a gift on every one of eight nights. So you get the good gifts on the first and second <laughs> night, and then it steadily goes downhill, and and eventually by the eighth night, uh, you're getting like Hanukkah guilt or something. Oh man, yeah. I don't know anything about the fucking Hanukkah guilt, man. I'm lucky I get anything. 
Yeah, now for, I don't for, get anything anymore, man. For kids who no, man, I, I got hey, fucking bitcoins crashed, man, a little bit. Yeah, I, I kind of stopped watching, but how about the Bitcoin bowl? Did you see that? No. There's a Bitcoin bowl on December 26th in Nitrogen Sports. If you bet there, you can get juice-free wagering on anything from like I think it's six until eight o'clock, two hours before the game. But it's called Bitcoin. It's in St. Petersburg, Florida. Really? It's the Bitcoin bowl. So maybe things are going to spike up on the 26th. What do you think? I don't know. What do you think about Western Union, bro? I mean, I could have told you about Western Union in fucking September. I wish you would have. Uh, well, you didn't get anything uh, held up or anything, did you? No, just no, I, I just barely beat it. And uh, it's good I beat it because I, I won a lot of money since I got that money on there. So I'm glad. If Western Union was not available, it actually would have cost me a lot of money because I wouldn't have bothered. You're lucky you got it on there. How much did you send? I, I sent like 2400 and I ran it up big. And they let it go through to Costa Rica or uh, Nicaragua? Yeah, it was on uh, September 20th I did this, and it went through. Oh, man. You, it was just before the cl- it was it. just before it happened. <laughs> just before it clamped yeah, you down. You couldn't do that now, man. No, not if even close. MoneyGram's going to be next, just so you guys know. I think like in early October. I think in early October it happened. So so, so what happened Wait, here? Well, so, I've seen before. You should go play at Five Dives. I remember I, I posted something here about Five Dives. That's a great book, man. I think you'll like it. Yeah. But poker I, sucks now. I'll probably make an account. They used to be on the Poker there. Network, America Poker, or America's Card Room Network, but they, you know, they got out of that. But it's a good book, man. And well, a lot of ways to get paid, including Bitcoin. Yeah, I saw that. I'll probably create an account there. So, all right. Don't don't be sending money to Western Union unless you guys want to get it confiscated, because especially with a credit card, trust me. So what happened there with Western Union? Did they uh, did they close down the shady agents that were taking it on the other side? Yeah, well, I think. I'm telling you, what I heard is that they got these shady agents. The government was putting pressure on these guys, and Western Union got a whole new database thing. And they knew when to attack all of this and exactly what happened. But they're trying to pop them up. You know, then they'll pop up one for a couple days somewhere, and then it'll get hit. You know what I mean? I mean, you can't do it anymore. But now what they're doing, if you send money, your name's getting blacklisted. There's a phone number you can call to see if you're blacklisted through Western Union, just so you know that. If anybody out there is using one, yeah, I guess it's positive. What's the phone number? Do you know it? Uh, I'm not. I don't have it right in front well, of me. Let me try to find it here. I, I wonder if I'm. Yeah. I wonder if I'm blacklisted because I uh, I sent money successfully, but uh, maybe they blacklisted me after that. I don't even know yet. Yeah, I'll, you can call a number. You give them your name, your address. They tell you. And you know what? I'm surprised you got that twenty-four hundred through that day. I mean, even on the twentieth. But lucky you did that you mm-hmm. ran it up. Don't piss it all away in the NBA, bro. <laughs> <laughs> well, today didn't anyway, go out. Man, today, I called, to, I called to wish you happy Hanukkah. I'm a fucking day late and a dollar short as you. No, you're not. Us. It's the last day. You got it. You got in. Oh, today? I thought you said yesterday was the no, last day. No, no, no. Well, it's today. Hanukkah. Have some matzo ball. Wherever the fuck you guys eat. Okay, I'll do that. Okay, thank you, bad guy. All right, man. Take care, brother. All right, thank you. So, bad guy calling to wish me a happy Hanukkah from West Virginia. We're getting a lot of phone calls tonight. People are very talkative tonight. Sometimes we go through the whole show and nobody wants to call me. Tonight we've got three phone calls before we even got really into any topics. We're like an hour in. There's some people who hate it when it's like this. Some people are like are just here for the posted topics. And if I deviate from them and don't get into them at the beginning of the show and like an hour goes and there's no topics talked about, this pisses some people off. They get really mad. Others like stuff like that. Others like the characters and phone calls into the show and all that. I can't find this phone number for checking if you're banned from Western Union. 
I'm also I'm kind of afraid to call up and ask if I'm banned because that might lead them to ban me. It's kind of like walking to the police station and saying, "Hey, uh, uh, you're not investigating me right now for uh, dealing drugs, are you?" <laughs> I mean, you don't. If you're doing something that's you're not supposed to be doing, you, know, you shouldn't bring the other side's attention to it. And see if they know you're doing it. So I think I'm just not going to say anything and just wait till next time I need them. But I, you know, Bovada, you can't do Western Union anymore, so it doesn't really matter at the moment. But yeah, I am fortunate. I got that money on just beforehand, and uh, yeah, some of that money got pissed away tonight. I lost five of the eight bets, so that's not good. That is not good. Not a good day. I, you know, you place this whole long string of bets, and you have this dream of going eight and zero, and then you just. You go three and five, you just feel crappy. The worst was Miami. They were killing Philadelphia, who's a terrible team, the worst in the NBA, and then they Miami blew a 19-point lead. All righty, let, let's get to the World Series discussion here. This is the email that I, I got from uh, Seth Polanski today. Again, Seth Polanski, is, uh, he, he's a vice president at uh, Caesars Interactive, so he does... A lot of work with the World Series of Poker, WSAP.com. Uh, he, he's been with them for a while now under uh, various titles. And uh, as I said, he's, he's accessible. He sends out all the press releases about the World Series, but he's accessible. You can respond to these bulk press releases he sends out, and uh, he will give you an answer, which uh, a lot of other people in his position wouldn't. So I will give him credit for that. But I'm going to read you what he sent to me uh, today. And uh, then I will read his personal message to me. So here is what Seth Polanski wrote today in a bulk email sent to everybody about the World Series of Poker. The 2015 World Series of Poker. No, 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 that's not what he said. Come on. Now, here's what he actually said. <laughs> that's really his voice, by the way. That's really him. Okay. <laughs> Never gets old. Here's what he wrote. The 46th World Series of Poker, the longest-running, richest, and most prestigious tournament series, begins on Wednesday, May 27th at the Rio. The action-packed schedule includes gold bracelet events, satellites, cash games, and thrice-daily deep-stack tournaments running for 49 consecutive days, with the main event reaching its final nine players on Tuesday, July 14th, 2015. So that's when the summer part of the World Series ends. The summer festival reaches its pinnacle with the with the globe's longest-running poker tournament, the $10,000 buy-in No Limit Hold'em main event, which is slated to run over 10 consecutive days from July 5th to July 14th, 2015, and will consider three st- will feature three starting flights: July 5th, July 6th, July 7th. The 2015 World Champion will be guaranteed to win $10 million. Also 
Uh, also back on the schedule in 2015 will be the Millionaire Maker and Monster Stack, which in 2014 secured their place as the most attended events in all of poker. The average World Series of Poker gold bracelet event in 2014 featured a $3.5 million prize pool, with 792,504 going to the main to the event's winner. The 2014 World Series featured the top five field sizes of the year with the main event, 6683 entries, Millionaire Maker, 7977 entries, Monster Sack, 7863 entries, Little One for One Drop, 4496 entries, and Seniors Event, 4425 entries, combining to attack, attract a staggering 31,444 entries. Uh, skipping down here. Uh, to that end... The WSOP is pleased to announce the first new event for 2015, a flagship event to kick off the opening weekend of the World Series schedule and deliver the largest field ever to play in a large poker tournament. Dubbed the Colossus, this two-starting-day event on Friday, May 29th and Saturday, May 30th will feature a guarantee of... One million dollars. No, 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 no. That's been done before with the Millionaire Maker. No, 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 no. It will feature a $5 million prize pool guarantee. And the lowest buy-in for any WSOP event in 35 years, just $565. There will be two starting flights each day at 10 a.m. and 4 p.m. with a re-entry format limited to flights they have not previously entered. Players will love the robust $5,000 in 5,000 chip starting chips with the tournament beginning without an ante and blinds at 2550. I wouldn't call that robust 5,000 starting chips. So um that's an interesting tournament. Friday, May 29th, Saturday, May 30th. The Colossus is what they're going to call it. A $5 million prize pool guarantee, which means uh, what they're expecting here, and since that's the prize pool, I'm not sure what they, uh, what the entry fee is of this versus the, uh, the amount going to the prize pool. I'm guessing probably 500 plus 65. But it means that they are expecting 10,000 people minimum. Otherwise, there's an overlay. Well, not, not a real overlay. It's a... Uh, but otherwise, uh, they have to start eating into the entry fees. An overlay would occur if there's fewer than 8849 entrants, but there's no way there's going to be fewer than 8849 entrants. This is going to be huge. Uh, first of all, what they're saying here is you can re-enter it three times. You can enter four times total here. If you play on Friday the, the 29th at 10 a.m. and you bust, you can re-enter at the 4 p.m. flight, which they probably do late registration until about 11 p.m., so uh, you can re-enter there. Then if you bust there, you can buy the next day at 10 a.m. If you bust there, you can buy in, uh, at 4 p.m. So you could really play four different flights here. It is now much more accessible to people for $565 rather than the current minimum buy-in of 1000 for World Series events. It's a big difference. And this is a bracelet event. And as he said, for 35 years, there's never been a bracelet event 
for uh, an open event, that is, one that anybody can enter. I'm not talking about things like the Casino Employees event, but the an open World Series event, there has not been one in 35 years, that you can buy in for that little. So this is going to attract a lot of people who've always wanted to play a World Series of Poker bra- bracelet event, but figured that they could not afford to do so. So between that and the fact that you can buy in up to four times... To give you a comparison, the Monster Stack event had 78, 63 people entering, and these were unique people. You could not rebuy into that one. So 7,863 people entered that Monster Stack event, and that wasn't even a cheap event like this $565 thing. So if they got 78.63 for that, can you imagine what they're going to get for this, where you can buy in up to four times? And each one counts as a, as a person entering. You can kind of be four people. So I don't know what kind of field they're going to get here, but it's going to be way more than 10,000. Maybe 13,000, maybe 15,000. It's going to be huge. Which leads me to my next point. They have... Only two starting days, and that's just not enough, especially with 5,000 starting chips, which means people are not going to bust as fast. That's not a, a deep stack event, but it's uh, it's bigger than when you start with those 3,000 chips for the $1,000 buy-in events. 5,000 is a big difference. It takes, it takes more time to bust there. But even not with that, with four different starting flights, including two flights each that are six hours apart, there's going to be a big problem with how much room they have there. They just don't have enough room there. They can't expand it. They've already, they're already using every room they can there. So uh, I don't know what they're going to do. I've advocated in the past that they should have some of the World Series at a different property, maybe at Caesars, so they don't run out of space. But uh, this is going to be a disaster. Every single year... The World Series of Poker, when they introduce something new, a new big field event, it becomes a disaster. Every single time. There's a long history of this since it came to the Rio. When they do something new, they bring in a new event that's going to have a lot of people, whether it's one of those, uh, at first it was those cheap $1,000 events they had on the weekend. Uh, More recently, it was the Millionaire Maker in 2012, which was a disaster. In 2013, it was the Monster Stack, which, again, was a disaster. When I call it a disaster, I don't mean the number of people who played. I mean a disaster logistically. People waited on six-hour lines to register. People showed up to play, and their table was not available, and they couldn't play. Uh, Had to stand around waiting for hours. Uh, Other tournaments got canceled. Uh, Every mess you could think of occurred there. They are very poorly prepared. Uh, basically, the way the World Series does it when they create something new like this is they severely underestimate the number of people that will show up. Therefore, they underestimate the amount of space they need and the amount of uh, staff they need to support it. They're not prepared. Everything goes to hell. And then you know, after the whole mess occurs, then they say, oh, well, this was a new event. We didn't expect this type of response. Well, yes, you did. If you didn't, you're stupid. Because the rest of us know that when you introduce something new that is expected to really excite the poker-playing public, 
you're going to get a ton of people. They used to really have a dumb problem where when the World Series was growing every year and uh, they'd have an event that's very popular and would get like 3,000 people. And instead of expecting maybe 3,500 or 4,000 the next year because the World Series is growing, they go, okay, well, we got 3,000 last year. We will prepare for a maximum of 3,000 this year. And then when it turns out to be more than 3,000, then they go into the toilet and once again, they panic. (laughs) So, I I mean, they they just don't plan very well at all. They do not plan very well. It's got to be like a, a perfect world for them. A, with everything falling perfectly into place for them to not have fail with these new events. Every time they introduce something new, it's a disaster. Every time. And this is going to be one, too. I can guarantee there's going to be so much fail with this one, and, and you're probably going to be in long lines. You're probably going to have to wait a long time to get your game started, especially play in the later flights. You'll probably be bumped from the table that you're sent to and, and move somewhere else. Uh, you'll probably be waiting to sit down in the first place. You'll probably have other people who are frustrated and can't get in. You'll have people showing up to your table who are assigned there that are going to be moved elsewhere and your play is going to be interrupted every so often. Uh, There's going to be every kind of mess you can think of. It's going to be hard to maneuver through the Rio with long lines snaking around for people to register and get into these tournaments. It's just... I can't even predict all the different types of fail, but there's going to be tons of fail here, I promise you. I promise you there's going to be tons of fail here. This is going to be a mess. Uh, So he goes on to write in this press release, Mixed games will again be well represented at the 2015 World Series. The two-track system for popular disciplines of poker with a 1,500-track and 10,000 championship discipline set to return. So, so uh, th- this is uh, bothering me a little bit. Not that part, but that's how they did Limit Hold'em, too. Limit Hold'em is not a mixed game. Limit Hold'em is still one of the most popular cash games in the world. Not as popular as No Limit anymore, but it's still pretty popular. And last year, they only had two Limit Hold'em events out of 62 events, or 67, whatever they had, 60, whatever they had last year. And I, I thought that was terrible. I thought that was highly underrepresenting Limit Hold'em, and all the Limit Hold'em players I knew were very unhappy about this. Uh, Seth Polanski himself told me that maybe they're going to increase it in 2015, and I asked him about that. I'll tell you what his response was, but I'll get to that in a little bit. So on, f- they didn't release a full schedule. I was hoping they would, but they didn't because they have not come up with a full schedule yet. It's kind of like when you see a preview of a movie to be released in... You know, over a year from now, and they only show you little bits because they've only filmed little bits, kind of like that uh, Star Wars Episode Seven. So uh, this is World Series Episode 46, and they have not designed the whole thing yet. But they have come up with some of it. So on Friday, June 5th, and Saturday, June 6th, they're having the Millionaire Maker. It says the second Friday, Saturday of the series marks the return of the successful Millionaire Maker event, with a couple new wrinkles to be a hit, sure to be hit with players. In the 2015 iteration, players will begin with 7,500 in starting chips, an increase of 66.6%. This, the event moves to two starting days to make things more comfortable for players. The Millionaire Maker No Limit Hold'em event on June 5th and 6th will again feature a $1,500 investment with a winner guaranteed to earn at least... 
The event will feature two starting flights, flight A on June 5th at 10 a.m. and flight B on June 6th at 10 a.m. I don't know if that's going to be enough. Eliminated flight A players may re-enter flight B. The tournament starts with no ante and blinds are 25-50, giving players 150 big blinds at the outset. The event featured a record 79-77 entrance in 2014, and the winner, John Dimming, earned $1.3 million dollars and the prize pool was over $10.7 million. On Friday, June 12th, and Saturday, June 13th, the Monster Stack comes back. Boy, was that a mess. It looked like a refugee camp at the Rio last year during the Monster Stack, and I, I was part of that camp, because basically you would buy in, and you could not get your table because they were still finishing up the other flight, and, and you had to, like, people were actually lying down on the floor of the Rio waiting for, like, an 11.30 start time. It was a, a disaster. They had, like, so many different flights, running every few hours, and the last one, which I entered after busting a different tournament, I mean, it was uh, it was pandemonium. And you're just waiting and waiting and waiting, and people are just kind of hanging out up on the stage, and it really looks like some disaster hit Las Vegas, and everyone is forced to live at the Rio. Like, not in hotel rooms at the Rio, but forced to live in the convention area of the Rio. It was uh, <laughs> a depressing scene. I took a picture of it, in fact. Uh, they also really screwed it up the next day on day two when they tried to run cash games instead of uh, making the right amount of tournament tables available. And you, you show up and uh, the table you're assigned to has cash games running on it and no instruction on what to go do. Anyway, the No Doubt About It tournament of 2014, yeah, No Doubt About Fail tournament of 2014, was the WSOP's Monster Stack. It returns in 2015 with some new wrinkles. It will include two starting flights. Oh, wait, I, what am I doing? No, oh, that's right. That's right. I thought I was reading the old one. Uh, two starting flights, one on Friday, June 12th, and one on Saturday, June 13th. This year, both flights will begin at 10 a.m. Yeah, they're doing that so they don't have as much uh, of a disaster <laughs> like last time where it uh, ran so late. Players will begin with 15000 in starting chips for their $1,500 investment and will... And with the move off of a Thursday start in 2014, the expectation in this event will exceed the record 778.63 unique entries and $10.6 million prize pool of its debut. So they're saying that uh, last year it was on Thursday and it got almost 8,000 people. They think it's going to beat it this year because they're having it on Friday and Saturday and perhaps a bit better organized. So I asked Polanski about this too. What are they going to do this year to prevent the same fail that occurred last year at the Monsters deck? On June 19th, the, the Seniors Championship, and I'm not going to bother reading all about that, but I will say that in addition, this is according to Polanski, in addition to the Seniors event, this year there will be a Super Seniors event. What is a Super Seniors event? Well, it's also $1,000, and it's for people 65 and over, where the regular Seniors is only 50 and over. They have not scheduled yet, but it'll be in close proximity and date to the seniors event. Hey, I, they should go even farther. There should be a super, super, super seniors event where you have to be at least 80. And then maybe a super, super, super duper seniors event where you need to be at least 95. <laughs> so I think the super seniors event, the fact that it exists just shows what a farce the regular seniors event is. 50 is not a senior. I'm going to be 50 
in a little bit more than 70 years. And I don't consider myself to be a senior. I, I don't see myself as young, uh, but I'm not a senior. I don't see myself as anywhere near a senior. I don't feel like a senior. In 70 years, I won't feel like a senior. 50 is just not a senior, especially these days when the life expectancy in the U.S. is uh, around 80 years old. 50 is not a senior. Most people who are 50 are going to be working for you know, probably almost 20 years from that point. They can't call themselves a senior. In fact, as a 50-year-old, you don't even qualify for seniors' discounts anywhere. Usually it starts at 55, 60, or 65. But the fact that they made a super seniors means that they know that the seniors' event is a farce and that uh, the only reason they have it is for money because you have a whole lot of people entering who are over 50 who either don't want to play with the younger people they just want to get away with the, uh, from the obnoxious uh, hoodie-wearing young pros, or because they think that other older people suck. So you have a lot of people who are you know, 55 to 60 or 50 to 55. You know, people in their 50s thinking, all right, well, the people under, over 60 are probably awful, so I'm going to have a huge edge over them, and without the young punks they're always three-betting me, I'm going to own this tournament. That's what a lot of these you know, 50-something-year-old guys think, and I, I don't blame them. That's what I'm going to think when I'm 50. I'm, I'm going to play when I'm 50, but uh, the truth is I'm, I'll probably be against mostly other 50-something-year-olds, and it won't really be uh, much of an edge. They got 4,400 people last year. So they've added a super seniors event to be really what is the real seniors event. So it really should be called the late middle age event and the seniors event instead of the seniors and super seniors. The ladies championship will return the same uh, procedure where it's $1,000 for females and 10000 for males. And this is legal because the way they're doing it is making it a 10000 buy-in where they give females a 90% discount. They do this to prevent people like Sean Deeb from playing in drag. And uh, you know this keeps dudes out of the event. They can't just exclude the men from registering because that's against Nevada state law. So that'll take place on Thursday, June 25th. On Sunday, June 28th, the One Drop High Roller. Now, they do the big one for One Drop every other year. It's on uh, even years is that million-dollar One Drop tournament. In the odd years, they do the $111,111 tournament. And uh, that's going to take place on June 28th. On June 30th is a tournament I'm going to encourage everybody here not to play. And that is the little one for one drop. Now, I got a lot of people last year. This is the uh, $1,111 buy-in tournament for the one drop charity. And last year they got a lot of people entering. And I'll tell you why you shouldn't play it. I have nothing against the One Drop organization, which provides clean water to developing countries. It's a Gila Liberté's charity, and if you want to donate to it, you can do so directly at OneDrop.org. I, I have nothing against that charity. It seems fine. I don't know. That, I don't know that much about it, but it seems fine. My problem is that the little one for One Drop is misleading. And it's not fair the way they allocate the money for the charity. So it's a $1,111 buy-in tournament with 111 of that going to charity. The problem is that Caesars is donating absolutely zero. They are donating nothing to charity because after that 111 comes off the top and goes to the charity, it becomes a regular $1,000 tournament with full juice. 
with full juice. So Caesars is not even lowering the rake on this. Caesars isn't even trying to break even operationally with this. It's not like they're taking out like a little bit so they can cover their costs. They are taking out their usual rake from a $1,000 buy-in. And then just, you're paying another 111 off the top. And the reason that's bad is all the charity is being paid for by you, and you can't even write it off, because that's Caesar's donation, not yours. Even though you're the one paying it, they're taking it from you and then donating it, and they get the write-off. Now, it's been said before by Caesar's that they're actually not taking that write-off, because they've reached their maximum amount of uh, charity write-off, so they, they can't claim it, they claim. But who knows if that's true. But even if it is, uh, it's a joke that the charity tournament, that the entire burden of providing this money to charity is on the players, and Caesars makes money off of it. A charity tournament should be a tournament where the operators of the tournament don't make anything. They should not be profiting off charity tournaments, except for the charity itself. So they're making a very healthy profit on this uh, let's take a look here. Last year, it says they got uh, 4,496 players. 4,496. I believe they took out $100 from each prize pool. I think that's what they took out from each uh, entry. So if that's true, that means that uh, they made... Or at least they took in $450,000 or so in entry fees in that tournament. And believe me, it did not cost them anywhere near 450000 to put that thing on. Yeah, they got to pay the dealers and security and whatever, but nowhere near 450000 to provide that tournament. But that's what they made off of it while you paid the charity. So I think that's terrible. They should not be profiting off this. So boycott the one drop until they stop this crap. I think something fair would be for them to make the rake half what it normally is. So have the players have the 111 for charity and then have them charge half rake. I think that's a fair compromise, but not full rake. And they, they do it and they get away with it because nobody really realizes it when they play it. So I would stay away. And if you still feel bad and say, hey, you know, I, I want to help the charity. Okay, then go to onedrop.org and donate 111 bucks. And don't play the tournament. Easy. And you get the write-off. This year, they're changing a little bit. In previous years, uh, you just buy in for 1,111. This year, you get uh, 5,000 in chips instead of 3,000 for your $1,000 buy-in. And then if you want to donate another 111 which is what goes to the charity, you get another 5,000 in chips, which, of course, everyone's going to do. So you have the option to play without donating to the charity, but then, of course, uh, you're starting with half the chips. So I don't think anyone in their right mind would buy in for 1,000 and get 5,000 chips when you could buy in for 10,000, buy in for 1,111 and get 10,000 chips. That'd be like one of the dumbest things ever. I don't, even, I don't even know if we'll get even one person doing this, except maybe someone who makes a mistake. I'd love to know if there would be a single person who would do this, buy in for 1,000 and get 5,000 chips instead of for another 111 and get double chips. So it's it's a little gimmick, but it's pointless. It's going to end up the same way, and they're just starting you with more chips. But don't play it. Don't play it. Don't, don't let Caesars profit off of charity. It's wrong. 
So they're saying uh, nearly 500 poker tables will be set up across more than 100,000 square feet of ballroom space to accommodate the thousands of players from around the world who attend poker's annual Woodstock. That's a dumb term. Uh, He's claiming that uh, 500 tables are going to be set up. I wonder if we're going to be still seeing some in that awful uh, Buzios area that uh, nobody wants to play at. (laughs) That's a little area they rope off in front of the Buzios restaurant in the hallway. Like, imagine playing a major poker tournament in the hallway. Remember uh, Suicide King of uh, this site? He played the main event, and he started off in Buzios. Imagine spending $10,000 for the main event buy-in and playing at Buzio's and <laughs> playing in the hallway. I'd rather play inside Buzio's. You're playing in the hallway as people walk by. What a joke. I, I don't know if they're going to do that or not. The full event by event schedule is expected to be released sometime in January. And they're expecting, quote, 60-plus official gold bracelet events. Here is what Seth Polanski wrote to me. I asked him, do you know the number of Limit Hold'em events that'll be, that will be taking place in 2015? Will it be increased? And what changes have been made to prevent the zoo of day one of the monster stack that we saw last year? He wrote, not sure the number of Limit events this year. Rest of schedule starts getting filled in now and should release it all in mid or late January. So they're just starting to fill the rest of the schedule. They haven't, it's not like they've come up with everything. They're hiding it right now. They just, they haven't come up with it yet. They just told you everything they knew. Uh, the Monster Stack says, we have changed it. We've made it two starting days, not one. 10 a.m. starts in case we need to handle some late waves. Late waves meaning, you know, sometimes they'll add additional flights of it later in the day as they did for the one I played. Now that we know timing and bust-out percentage, etc., we can better plan. This is not a re-entry event, so we either play the Friday flight or the Saturday flight. Of course, we do still have finite space at the Rio, but there's just some element of events this big in the last-minute nature of poker players that you won't be able to entirely eliminate some of the madness. So he's... Even Seth Polanski is admitting there's probably going to be fail here. But, uh... Probably not as bad as last year, but I bet this new Colossus event is going to be a mess. A huge mess. So, if you guys have any more questions for Seth Polanski that are not obscene, please let me know. I'll send them over to him and uh, read them on a a subsequent show. Let's take a look at the chat room. Did I say 1,000 square feet? I I meant to say 100,000 if I said 1,000. I he wrote a hundred thousand. Uh, forum were saying I actually only plan upon buying in for a thousand dollars to that uh, one-drop tournament and foregoing the five k extra chips. But he says, but then again, I'll also be foregoing the ninety percent discount for the women's tournament. <laughs> Veja may be saying that's what you should do Buy in for 1k and then donate The 111 to one drop and get the tax Deduction yourself Veja <laughs> uh, may be also saying They should have a junior event for under 22 uh, Believe it or not that would Be illegal A team MLK Showed up he said to give him a shout out I'll give him one but you should have been here before and bad guy called in That's what everyone wanted that's what the people wanted Was an old school team MLK Bad guy battle but uh, We didn't have it 
Team MLK showed up too late. Yeah, they can't have an under-whatever tournament because age discrimination states that you can only discriminate on age by discriminating against younger people. And the theory is that younger people will get older one day. So whatever they can't do today, they can do later on when they hit that age. But if you're old, you can never be young again. So it wouldn't be legal to have an under-22 tournament because most people could never play that ever because they're already past 22 and will never get younger than 22 again. But uh, over 50 is okay to have because if you're younger than 50, you'll eventually get there unless you die first. Matos is saying C-Money is still offering $100 to the free roll for Team MLK to call in. I don't know if that's true. That's what uh, he's saying. Maybe he's offering C-Money's money. (laughs) I don't want to offer that not knowing if it's true. That's uh, written in the chat room. Let's see here. So let's move on to another topic, a non-World Series topic. Sticky Rice won. This is an interesting character. I'll admit that I'm not certain. Maybe the chat room can help me where he got the money that he initially won. I I heard from someone who was from a tournament, and I heard from someone else that he just ran it up big at the cash tables, or maybe it was both. But whatever it was, he ran up 40000 plus on Bovada. This is a recreational player. This is not a pro, and this is not someone who grinded it up over a long period of time. This is not someone who sat there winning you know, $1,000 a day and after 40 days had 40000 This is someone who ran it up quickly, who had a very crazy and uh, gambly playing style. But what really caught people's attention about Sticky Rice 1, and of course you couldn't see his name on Bovada, because on Bovada it doesn't show names. It just shows player 1, player 2, player 3. But the reason people know him as Sticky Rice 1 is because he actually videoed himself playing on Bovada, and with a five-minute delay, of course, so you can't see his whole card during the hand, uh, he was putting himself on Twitch.tv, which is a live video streaming site where you can stream yourself live if you have a webcam, basically, and uh, do your own little video streaming show. So he streamed himself playing a number of things on uh, Bovada, and a lot of them he didn't play very well, but he was, uh, and, and you know, he took you on his roller coaster ride, and this is over a period of several days to where it really caught the attention of, of people in the poker world, including uh, people, including people on this site. So, uh, you got to watch him play, the good and the bad. Here is a video, and he was very reactive. He would do little dances when he won him. Mean, he's very reactive while he was playing here. He's very entertaining to watch. Here's a video of him uh, having pocket queens and flopping top set. But he bets more than half size. And I told you what I was going to do. So we- and by, by the way, they, that terrible music in the background, you had to put up with this during his, uh, his broadcast. He loved to play this, uh, this awful music in the background a lot of times. can't be ashamed of our actions. Yo, another donation. DJ, cut the music. Okay, so uh, people were donating money to him while he was playing. He was asking for donations. The funny thing was he was 
acknowledging every little donation people were giving him, like five bucks, which is so weird. He's playing these big games like 10, 20, no limit, and, and acknowledging on his podcast, oh, thanks for the $5 you just sent me. So he, he definitely appreciated every penny that came to him. Skirt! Oh, fuck! Pocket Queens! Play the music! Here we go. Pot size. Under the gun with Pocket Queens. Who's gonna call me? C2 folds! C1 folds! C3's on the button, ladies and gentlemen. So he thinks he's like in an action movie. Dun, 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 He folds too. C4, we're down to the last player. C5, who does not like me? Let's hope he bets. Come on, C5. Don't fucking back out on me now. You're don't be... Now, you get to see him up in the top corner. You see the Bovada taking up most of the screen. On the top corner, you see him on his headset. And he's a young guy uh, announcing this. And he's announcing everyone's folding and back to the big blind. He's you know, raised under the gun with Queens. And now he's, he doesn't want seat five to fold. Don't be a bitch, bro. Don't be a bitch. Yes. And he re-raises me. And I will re-raise him. Actually, no, I won't. Yes, I will. But no! We gotta keep going! Fight to the end! Pocket Queens! Do we raise? If we raise, he shoves the call? No. We just call. We can't! So, he was gonna re-raise, and then at the last second, he said, no. He's like, re-raise, he shoves, we call? Nah, we'll just call. So he calls, and then he flops Queen 4-9. Obviously, the nuts here. With two hearts on the board. Go that deep! Yes! Yes! Sunset! 12%! We're doubling up here, ladies and gentlemen. Here is the time in the World Championships of Poker! World Series of Poker! Dusty and WSOP is going down to the two trip leaders. He bets $265 in a $447 pot. Does he re-raise here? If he re-raises, what does the enemy think he has? Ace, queen, ace, queen, ace, queen. Does he have it? He is out of position. We will just call, ladies and gentlemen. So, so he just calls uh, trying to... He doesn't know what his opponent has yet, obviously, so he's trying to trap his opponent. And now, uh, wait for the turn. This is the craziest this- he has a full house, ladies! So a, a, a nine hits the turn, making a full house, and now he really goes nuts. And gentlemen, what can we do? He has nothing. He can't stop him. He could have a flush drop. Please let the heart hit. Does he have ace king? Ladies and gentlemen, shit is getting crazy. I don't even know how to hold my belly button. I can't breathe. I can't breathe. I can't breathe. The music is too epic. Oh my. <laughs> I can't breathe. The music is too epic. <laughs> That's the best line in the whole thing. I, I can't breathe. The music's too epic. It's not that he can't breathe because he's got top set and what he thinks is going to be a big pod. It's because the music he's blasting in the background is too epic. God, oh my God, he's betting so much. Holy shit, we got to be fucking sneaky. We got to be sneaky. We got to be sneaky. <laughs> I'll give him credit. He plays appropriate music here. So it's annoying sometimes that he plays appropriate music. Come on. Come on. Let's go! Call! So the river is a, a blank. Doesn't make the flush. It's a six of clubs. Total blank. Could not have changed anything. So he's got the second nuts. Anything but uh, pocket nines for quads, he's won again. So now it's a matter of how much can he extract out of the guy. Yeah! Yes! Yes! We gotta do this! Full house! Full house! Double 
this is funny. I, I just want to mention this. Uh, he kept putting on the screen thanks to people who donated. So thank you, Phil Dash Ivy, for five dollars. Hey, bro, love watching you uh, play. Uh, I just wanted to say Ashley the Grinder is a hot slut, and you should stake her. Now, what's funny about that is that Ashley the Grinder, we've, I dealt with him before. This, Ashley the Grinder is a dude named Mark who's from Connecticut and uh, pretended to be a girl to get stakes. I guess he's still, I guess he's the one who probably donated this $5 and, uh, you know, gets this put up on the screen. I, I guess it gets put up through, uh, I'm not sure how, how it appears on the screen. Maybe it's uh, some automated process, but uh, <laughs> Ashley the Grinder apparently gave, uh, Five dollars here to get staked by this guy. This kid never gives up. This Mark guy. Let's go, baby! I got a full house. Yes! Yes! I swear to God, bitch, if you got quads. Oh my god! 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 Yo! Oh my god! Oh my god! Oh my god! Oh my god! Yes! 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 Slow roll his ass! Slow roll his ass! So he's just waiting and stalling here, and then you, you see him... <laughs> What's he doing here? He's running across the room back and forth. He's, he doesn't want to immediately raise the guy. He's just uh, stalling. Dancing around his room. actually doing a dance right now. Yes! Come on, baby! Yes! 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 We are back! So the guy ended up showing aces. He was up against aces with his queens, and uh, he outflopped him. Get it! Ladies and gentlemen! Ladies Gentlemen, oh my god, <laughs> yeah, baby. we just doubled up, ladies and gentlemen. We have four thousand six hundred and five dollars, and we started out with seven hundred dollars, ladies and gentlemen. Today is a fucking good day. And lucky, at the end, there, a lucky Chewy donated five dollars to him, and he put that up on the screen. So, uh this was really getting a lot of publicity. A lot of people were watching it. A lot of people were enjoying uh, Sticky Rice One's frantic screaming and, and music. And uh, uh, Sticky Rice One was making online poker fun again for a lot of people. And Bovada, for I don't know if it's related to this, actually got more action. There were more people playing on Bovada during Sticky Rice's uh, appearances there than at any other time. People think that he may have actually at least given a temporary spike to Bovada's action. This actually made people kind of want to play there. He made Bovada look fun. Now, Sticky Rice won. Uh, he didn't... Uh, it didn't end as well for him. He didn't flop top set every time, as you might have imagined. <laughs> uh, Sticky Rice won. He, he didn't only play No Limit Hold'em. He went and played... Uh, other other games, I think he played uh, PLO, and uh, I heard a story that he played PLO, and he didn't understand that uh, you couldn't use three cards out of your hand. 
there were like two spades on the board, and he had three spades in his hand. He thought he had a flush. So, <laughs> and he was playing a yeah, fairly big game there. So, uh, it uh, it didn't end well. I think he chunked it all off. I think it's all gone. If it's not all gone, it's very close to all gone. And uh, I don't know. I don't know if he has any left, but if it's not all gone, it's mostly gone. And uh, the question is, uh, where should he go from here? And is this something that's going to become a thing in 2015? Is Twitch TV for poker kind of like the new televised poker? This guy definitely made it fun, but part of what he made it, part of how he made it fun uh, is something that not everyone could do. First of all, he had this uh, music all queued up to play, and, uh, you know, it's a lot more exciting with him playing uh, the the epic music, as he calls it, uh, appropriate to whatever's going on, than someone going, okay, well, let's see, I've got Ace King. All right, Ace on the flop. Uh Uh-oh, I'm getting check raised. Does he have a set or just the worst Ace? I don't know. Maybe I should play this passively. Like, that's not fun to watch. He made it fun because he was so hyper, so wild. He had the music. He had uh, the dancing in between. Uh, This was someone who really loved what he was doing and made it fun for the spectator. Uh, Most people couldn't pull that off, and most people would not be playing as wild of a playing style to where they'd be entertaining to watch. Even someone attempting to make it entertaining uh, wouldn't be very fun to watch live if they're knitting it up and only playing premium hands and only uh, getting the money in good. It was the fact that this guy was getting it in good and bad and didn't seem to care that I mean, he cared to win. He would celebrate when he'd win, but this is someone who is willing to risk it and, and willing to shoot off his money in bad spots, uh, almost like for the sake of entertainment. Uh, there's been some speculation that because he had an expensive-looking computer set up there that perhaps this is a rich kid and that he had a lot of money. I, I doubt he made it himself. He definitely didn't make it in poker, and he probably didn't make it himself just based on his age. But you know, maybe he has rich parents. Whatever it is, it's possible that this is not someone who had to support himself. And therefore, maybe that is the reason when he ran it up to 40k, why why he didn't consider cashing it out. I, I think he cashed out some, but why why the money seemed to mean so little to him, where normally it would mean a lot to someone who's that young, who is uh, just running it up for the first time. Of course, there are many people who have run up money gambling, sometimes in sports, sometimes in casino games, sometimes in poker, who don't cash out when they should, and uh, they don't realize it until it's too late. Sometimes they don't separate the difference between luck and skill. And sometimes when they run really well, they think it's going to always be like that, or at least always be some form of it. And uh, they don't realize that they should cash out. They don't realize that they're never going to keep the money they just made. So I don't know why he didn't cash most of it out. I don't know why he was willing to play such a crazy style that was obviously going to lead to ruin within a short time. I don't know why he's playing games he doesn't understand. But he was having fun with it. But there's some people who think that maybe this Twitch TV will make a nice combo with poker and others will do this. Others will try to make online poker more fun to watch. Personally, I don't think it will. I think he may have some imitators, but I don't think you can have another Sticky Rice one, at least not the way he did it, especially because you won't have that many people willing to burn money like he did. 
Bovada did not capitalize on this, and I think they, sh- you know, you could say they should have. But the, the truth is, Bovada is not really trying to really grow very much more. They've already told some affiliates to not promote them as much. Can you imagine telling your affiliate, "Hey, why don't you not promote me anymore?" But that's what they said because they're afraid they're getting too big in the U.S. market and that the DOJ is going to clamp down on them. Bovada is by far right now the biggest and most popular online poker site for U.S. players. It's not even close. This includes the legal sites and the not-legal sites. Bovada is the biggest place to be if you're a U.S. player. So they don't want to get bigger. So that's that's part of the reason why they didn't capitalize on this. The other reason is that it all happened so quickly, it's kind of hard to get a marketing campaign around this guy in that short of a time. And uh, the truth is, also, with a loose cannon like this, you don't want to have him be a player representing Bovada in any way and then have him say or do things that hurts the brand. You never know what the guy's going to say. So, you know, it, it can be funny when he, when he's screaming and dancing around, but, you know, what if what if he says something racist or homophobic? You, you don't know what the guy's going to say. The, the guy can end up uh, saying things that would embarrass the company. So uh, with a loose cannon like that, it's better to stay away, especially if you're not looking to get more business. I don't think this is going to have any kind of lasting effect on Bovada's traffic, even if it did give any kind of temporary bump, which may have just been random. But uh, bottom line is it was an entertaining thing. Uh, I, I don't think he's going to be the next Isildur or something like that. I do think that Sticky Rice 1 should strike while the iron is hot. And since he did have fans, including ones who seem to have money and success in poker, he should get some World Series stakes lined up. That's what he should do. He just entertained a lot of people. Now what he should do is reach out to those who really enjoyed watching him and say, hey, who wants to stake me? I bet this guy could get a lot of stakes at this point because people like him so much, because people were entertained so much by him, and people would enjoy being part of staking someone like Sticky Rice 1. And I think of him making it deep in the World Series and getting covered so much, and you could say, hey, this is the guy I staked. Uh, He may actually be able to have success in a tournament format. Uh, In a cash format, he really doesn't have much of a chance. Because people figure out his style. People figure out all the flaws in his game, which are numerous, and then they just wait to jump on them. And yeah, sometimes he'll get lucky and flop top set against you, but uh, a player like that's never going to last. He won't last a short time, he won't last a long time, he won't last at all. So cash is not really for him, but a tournament where a short stream of luck and unpredictability can actually really work in your favor could be good for him. I mean, look at Jamie Gold. Jamie Gold was good at the table talk. He was good at riding a lucky streak. He was good at maximizing the amount of money he makes when he is running well. But as you saw after the 2006 World Series, he really wasn't that good of a poker player, especially at cash games. He was a fish. But, uh, you know, in that one tournament where he was running well and maximized his ability to get paid when he was running well, he was very good. So... I think maybe tournaments could be a place that he could succeed. Of course, uh, you know, good players figure out how to beat the bad ones at tournaments too. So he would have to run very well to win. But I think if he's ever going to have a shot, it would be at a tournament and not at a, a cash game situation. Cash game situation, it's it's just a matter of when if he loses there. The good thing with a tournament is you get if you win, you get paid so disproportionately high compared to your luck there, 
that you get a lot more for winning a tournament running well for a few days than you do for running really well in a cash game. So for players who are flash-in-the-pan, crazy, aggressive players who need to have luck to win, tournaments are much better for them. Especially if they don't play them regularly. So what Sticky Rice 1 should do is line up stakes. Line up stakes while people still care about him. Because you know what? In a month, two months, maybe even a week, people may not care about Sticky Rice 1 anymore. Once he has no more money to play on Bovada, the care people have about Sticky Rice 1, who was a quick fad in December of 2014, may go down to just about zero. And at that point, it may be too late for him to get any kind of significant stake. All right. So uh, this is unbelievable. Uh, right now, the I'm not even going to play the ESPN thing, but uh, the Lakers are somehow beating the Warriors 75-65. Uh, I was going to bet it, and then it went off the board, and then the line moved, so I said, screw it. But I was actually going to bet, bet on the Warriors. We're the best team in the NBA right now. But uh, the terrible Lakers are somehow beating them by 10. So at least I didn't bet on that one. I apologize for anyone though, who took my picks today, because the of the three I won, the three out of eight that I won, Two of those three were bets I made at the last minute that probably no one got in on. So uh, the other ones I posted up there, only one of them won. And that was uh, uh, an under on uh, Philadelphia. Anyway, let's... uh, Get to the next topic. Gotta find it here. If you want to call in, 775 fraud 55 775 Look at the text messages we got here, if we got any. This is from the 516... Whoever that guy was messing with bad guy got owned, then hung up. Ship him the no pussy avatar. <laughs> okay. I think that might be PTMML gay, this uh, 516 person. I think it could be. In which case, I wonder, why didn't he call in himself? I, I guess it could be someone else from over there. All right, so here's the next topic. Um, it's about Caesars. And uh, their motions would look like would be to replace CEO Gary Loveland, as I've talked about on the show before. Caesars is in trouble. They're basically moving their debt over to spin-off companies that they made, and then they're expecting those spin-off companies to fail and uh, declare bankruptcy, and they've moved their valuable assets over to the parts of the companies that they want to succeed and move on. That's their strategy. There's a lawsuit involving this. They may or may not prevail, but that's their plan for 2015. Um, Mitch Garber is the CEO of Caesars Interactive Entertainment, which is a one of the spin-offs of Caesars, uh, and, and not one that they're going to have fail. But uh, they're basically the part of Caesars that runs WSOP.com and also 
that it runs the various social media sites that are attached to Caesars Entertainment. So Mitch Garber is the head of that. He is the boss of WSOP.com. He is the boss of uh, everything that uh, has to do with computer-type stuff for uh, Caesars Entertainment. I once tweeted with him briefly when I was unhappy with some things that were happening in WSOP.com. I said I wanted to talk to him. And then uh, Seth Polanski jumped into action and called me himself and had like a 45-minute conversation with me. And I, I told him you know, what my side of things were, and that told him why I was unhappy. So anyway, uh, Mitch Garber is now looking like the likely successor to Caesars CEO Gary Loveman. Now, why should you give a crap about that? Well, in addition to just being an interesting story for the gambling world, Caesars, of course, is the company that runs the World Series. So... Of course, it's interesting to, if the long, long-time and embattled CEO is going to be replaced. And uh, a lot of people are unhappy with Gary Luffman. They think he's really bears a lot of the responsibility for where Caesars is today. So he has not been fired yet, but uh, the thought is that he's going to be pushed out, either fired or pushed out in some way. And that Mitch Garber is going to take his position. And what looks like in preparation for this, Mitch Garber is no longer the CEO of Caesars Interactive. He has instead been moved to be vice president of Caesars Entertainment. Yeah. So you you think going from CEO to vice president is a downgrade, but no, you this is going from CEO of the spin-off of Caesars to vice president of main Caesars and not just to be vice president, but pretty much to prepare himself for what most are now assuming who are observing the situation to be taking over Gary Loveman's spot as CEO of Caesars. Uh, Jay Stat is saying Garber was fired and won't move from Montreal to run Caesars as CEO. Loveman pleases the private equity owners of Caesars, and that's all that counts. I don't know. What do you mean Garber was fired? He, he's now going to be the vice president. He wasn't fired. I mean, he maybe, maybe you're saying he was fired from that position, but I, th- I really think that uh, I, I think this is a voluntary move. I think he'd much rather be vice president of Caesars Entertainment than CEO of Caesars Interactive Entertainment. I think Loveman's not going to be there that much longer. It's not certain, but that's that's what I think. So uh, we will see what uh, what ends up happening there. Uh, this is, of course, just uh, speculation on my part. But I, I've seen others with that same train of thought about Mitch Garber. Um, he's around the same age as Loveman, so it's not like uh, it's not like the young guy taking up for the old guy. He's like a tiny bit younger. But uh, uh, just as the, uh, the bankruptcy is being filed, um, and, and there's, there's uh, by the way, Caesars 
Entertainment and Caesar's Acquisition Company are going to be uh, combining, from what I hear as well. That's one of the spinoffs they're combining together. But uh, anyway, he's the most likely successor at this point to jump from uh, CEO of the Caesar's Interactive Entertainment over to uh, Vice President of Caesar's Entertainment. I I don't know if the investors of Caesars are going to want him to stay, Loveman. Now, Jay Stat, he still doesn't agree. He says Jan Jones is a VP at Caesars, and she's incompetent. That's where washed-out execs go. So he's saying if you're... If you're a crappy executive of Caesars, instead of firing you, they just kick you over to a vice president's position. Because you know, there can be several vice presidents. So you're not just the vice president. It's not like vice president of the U.S. So uh, he's saying that this is just where they move over the ineffective uh, executives at Caesars and that they're actually downgrading them. I still don't know. That's, that's Jay Stats. Well, I guess we'll see who's right. I guess we'll see what uh, Garber's future is. I will say that WSOP.com has been a failure, but uh, I don't think they're blaming him for that. I, I think they could have done a lot of things better, and I've talked about that before on this show, but uh, it lost money, WSOP.com, especially in Nevada. But overall, it's lost money. Uh, I don't know how much more there is to say about this, but let me go to the next Caesars topic. This is a, a much more minor topic on the as far as the grand scheme of Caesars goes, but it may affect some of you more than who the CEO is. Caesars once had a no-resort-fee policy, and they advertised this everywhere. Caesars always made sure you knew, even when you called in and heard their opening recording, and we have no resort fees at any of our properties. They're very proud of no-resort fees when so many other properties had resort fees. And I thought it was working. I actually knew several people personally who told me they were staying at Caesars properties because they had no resort fees. So I, I saw it with my own eyes working from an anecdotal standpoint, but maybe, maybe they determined it wasn't. And I'll tell you why it may not have been working. When they were charging no resort fees, it's not like they were just making less money. What they were doing is rolling in the resort fees into their overall price, which is the way it should be, by the way, so everyone really understands what they're paying. The problem is, these days people tend to select hotel rooms by using a tool like Kayak, where you go and take a look of all the properties in a certain market. So you go on Kayak, you enter Las Vegas, and it shows every Vegas hotel from least expensive to most expensive. Now, of course, you usually scroll past the real shitholes that you can get really cheap, And uh, you look for a property that you've heard of before that you think probably isn't bad. And uh, then you pick the one that's the cheapest. So, you know, you you type in kayak. I'm going to go do it right now, just to give you an example. I'm going to go do it right now. Just uh, produce the show during the show, as I always do here. So I'm on kayak.com. Click on hotels. You can do this on orbits or whatever. It's all the same thing. Uh, Las Vegas. Let's do check-in... take some time not into the holidays. January 9th, check out uh, January 11th. Here we go. So it's coming up. And uh, see, you can scroll down here. 
and uh, you know if you if you sort it by price from low to high, first thing you get is the days in for thirty six dollars. <laughs> You're like, no, nah, I don't want to stay at the days in. Uh, then Palace Station, which is another shithole, forty dollars. Super Eight, forty-two dollars. Howard Johnson, forty-two dollars. Siegel Suites, forty-two dollars. Uh, Boulder Station, forty-three dollars. Blah blah blah. Say, so, say, so you scroll down. You go, I don't want to stay in any of that crap. Then you get to uh, Hooters. You go, okay, I've heard of Hooters, but uh, maybe I don't really want it. Forty-seven dollars. Okay. Then you see Circus Circus, forty-eight dollars. Yeah, that's kind of a shithole too. So you scroll down again. Uh, the first one you get to that you recognize and and isn't known to be crap or an old has been property. As you scroll, here's the Motel 6 is definitely not that. First one you hit is, they're still all crap, a lot of Motel 6s. <laughs> like these are rated one star, too, it's funny. Uh, oh, the Rio, here we are, the Rio. The Rio is $61 for that weekend, July, uh, January 9th to 11th. $61 uh, minimum. Well, in the past, the Rio was not going to come up here at 61. Because in reality, it's not 61. It's actually 86. Because it's 61 plus $25 a night resort fee. And of course, there's taxes too. But ignoring the taxes, which is the same everywhere, uh, you have to add the $25 on for resort fees every night. But those are not included here. So when you're scrolling down this list and you jump at the first property you see that you've heard of and you think it might be okay, uh, you don't even see the ones passed here. You go, okay, I see 61 for the Rio. I'm happy with that bang, 61. And then later you find out it's, it's $25 extra per night for a resort fee, which sucks. But before, before Caesars had a resort fee, they rolled it into the price. And before, when you would scroll down these lists, you wouldn't come up with a Rio until you hit $86 way down here. So I think they realized that with so many people shopping for hotels this way, that this was a mistake, that whatever they were gaining from people who didn't like resort fees, they were losing from ones who would never even consider their hotels thinking that they were more expensive than comparable competition that was listing with their price before resort fee. Resort fees are really just uh, a way to split out the price and mislead people. That's all they are. Uh, they claim, oh, it's for the internet and the parking and the use of the fitness center. I mean, whoever uses the fitness center in Vegas? Very few people. But they, they, they just mention various amenities that most hotels give for free anyway, and they claim it's for those things. But you can't just opt out. You can't say, okay, I don't want the gym. I don't want the internet. I don't want uh, uh, free local calls. I, I'll do without all that stuff. I don't want to pay the resort fee. You can't do that. You're forced to pay it. So it, it's part of the base price, but it's not listed as part of the base price. It's a scam. It's like a semi-scam. It's a way to trick you into thinking you're getting one price and you're really getting another. So Caesars didn't do that before, but then they realized that by not doing it, that uh, they're getting beat on these uh, travel sites that list hotels by price. So they went back to the resort fees. They started charging them. Now, that's old news. The newer news is that prior to November 11, 2014, if you had anything but the bottom total rewards level, which is gold, if you either had no total rewards card or you had a gold card, which is the bottom level, if you had anything higher, meaning platinum, diamond, or seven stars, you would pay no resort fee. 
Now, you wouldn't necessarily get the things the resort fee covers. So, like, you, if you were a platinum, you wouldn't be forced to pay the resort fee, but you would have to pay for the Internet separately. But, number one, it would still come out cheaper. And, number two, you, you, know, you can get around it. Maybe you don't need the Internet when you're there. So, this way, you're not forced to pay for it. And even if you do need it, it's still cheaper than the resort fee. So, uh, you're definitely better off. So, platinums and higher at Caesars did not ever pay the resort fee even with this change. Well, on November 11th, they made another change to where Platinum members, and it's not that hard to get a Platinum card. Uh, Diamond is harder, but uh, Platinum is pretty easy to get at Caesars. But uh, starting November 11th, Platinum members have to pay resort fees. Yeah. And of course, that's already passed. That's uh, over a month ago, a month and a half ago. And... They just kind of quietly did this. Now, if you booked your room before November 11th, even if you're staying after November 11th, for example, if you booked for New Year's, but you booked it before November 11th, you will not have to pay any resort fee. But any bookings you make for Caesars, any of the properties in Vegas, after November 11th, you will have to pay this resort fee if you are a platinum member or below of total rewards. Also, they've changed the resort fees before it had to do with how nice the property was. So the cheaper properties, the cheaper resort fee, Caesars was a more expensive resort fee. No longer. Now they are all $25 flat plus tax. So I think it comes out of like 28 and it's really crappy per night. This is now on every property, including the shit properties like uh, the old Imperial Palace, which is now called uh, the Link and uh, Harris itself and the Rio, all those lower-end properties, you're now paying a $25 resort fee. So don't be fooled by what appears to be a low price. So only Diamond and Seven Star members now avoid the resort fee. So keep that in mind when you're booking Caesars properties. This also really affects people who got the Total Rewards credit card. If you got the Total Rewards credit card for a year, they gave you free platinum, even if you didn't play anything. You applied and got approved for that card, you would immediately become platinum and avoid resort fees. Now that's not going to work for you anymore, even if you got the card recently. So any reservations made at any Caesars property in Vegas, which I think is the only place they're doing the resort fees right now. But uh, I think they're doing them in Atlantic City too, but it's kind of a different story over there. I think everyone has to be in Atlantic City. Uh, but in uh, in Vegas, if you're staying at any Caesars property now, after that booked after November 11th, you're going to have to pay those resort fees unless you're Diamond or Seven Star. Hockey guy saying in chat, I kind of like the MB- MGM properties a lot more. You know, I, I really don't like the... Most of the Caesars properties in Vegas I don't care for too much, but I do like Caesars Palace itself. The, 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 operationally, they're pretty bad. They make a lot of dumb mistakes, but I like the property itself. The only thing I don't like about the property itself at Caesars is the South Park is so far from the good towers to stay there, from the Augustus and the Octavius Towers. The South Park is really, really far. And I don't like using valet parking for many reasons. I could, but I don't, I don't like using it. So, let's get to the next topic. Where's the next topic? 
Huh. Okay. A bit of a lighter topic here. You might remember this individual from American Idol. And um, I, I'm currently studying at UC Berkeley right now. Uh, but it's kind of odd, like, why I chose to even audition in the first place, because uh, my, my major is civil engineering, which is not totally not related to music. But, but um, I really like music. I want to make music my living. Talk to me. Tell me your name. You blow me off like it's all the same. You little fuse and I'm taking away like a bomb. Yeah, baby. Talk to me. Tell me your sign. You're switching sides like a Gemini. You're playing games and now you're hitting my heart like a drum. Yeah, baby. She bangs, she bangs. Oh, baby, when she moves, she moves. I go crazy cause she looks like a flop but she stings like a bee Like every girl in history She bangs, she bangs Thank I'm you. wasted by the way Thank she... Thank you. <laughs> you can't sing, you can't dance, so what do you want me to say? Um, I already gave my best and there's, I have no regrets at all. Good for you. That's good. That's now that's good. That's William. good. That's the best attitude yet. And you know, I have no professional training of singing. No. Dancing, so. <laughs> <laughs> well, there's the surprise of the century. <laughs> William, you're the best. You're the best. All right. Thank you so much. Thank you. Thank you, William. Okay. Thank you, William. Thank you. So, William would have to bang somewhere other than Hollywood. But it was better news for ten others in San Francisco that day. So, uh, William Hung... Uh, did bang recently at the poker table. Uh, now this is 2004. This is 10 years ago when he sang uh, Ricky Martin's She Bangs on American Idol. He didn't make it past that uh, audition, but he was one of the most memorable people to appear on American Idol that year. <laughs> and in fact, uh, this was earlier on in American Idol, and at that time they weren't showing that many really bad singers like him. So that really got him attention where, you know, nowadays in American Idol, you see a number of crazy singers that don't have a chance at all and are just there for comic relief. So he was a, a comic relief character on American Idol. And he was, uh, at the time, a college student at Berkeley. And uh, what he said at the time was, uh, I tell people constantly, media, everywhere I go, just never give up on your dream. Well... He did give up on his dream. Uh, he now actually works with the L.A. County Sheriff's Department, of all things. <laughs> when I say L.A., I'm referring to Los Angeles. So that's, that's where he works now. But he played in a 70-person tournament, poker tournament, at the Aria for a $125 buy-in. And he won. He does have three other poker caches. Um, now somehow he played in the 2009 Victorian Poker Championship in Melbourne, Australia, and finished seventh for 4,000 Aussie dollars, which is his biggest score to date, which was worth uh, 33.15 in U.S. dollars at the time. I don't know how he. I guess he took a trip to Australia, uh, but then he went quiet. Either he didn't play tournaments or he just wasn't cashing in any. 
But he started to show up at the Aria in 2014. In July of 2014, he finished third in a $125 Aria tournament, for, and he got uh, $1,004. And then he had back-to-back performances here just this past week. December 19th, $125 Aria tournament. He won for $2,264. And not to go cold after that, he entered a 180 plus 20, so I guess he almost doubled his buy-in for 200 total, in the 10K weekly guarantee at the win and finished eighth for $1,560. So he's he's pretty much almost doubled his lifetime tournament caches in this past week in back-to-back days. And the one that he won, uh, the seven finishers who got paid were William Hung, number one, Ferry Helwig, number two, never heard of him. Derek Schlaud, number third, number three, no, number third. R- Rolando Eng, fourth place. Jason Mackey, came in fifth, I haven't heard of him. Jesse Geffen, sixth. And then, who is that finishing seventh? Who finished seventh? Yes, Robert Williamson the third. <laughs> Wow, how the mighty have fallen. I mean, I guess he got so much money stolen from him on UB. I guess he's reduced to playing 70-person, $125 buy-in tournaments at the Aria. That's pretty sad. I mean, I guess there's a chance Robert Williamson was playing just uh, for fun, maybe uh, with a friend or something. But, I mean, you really don't see very many pros with money playing a $125 buy-in tournament with fewer than 100 people. It just isn't very fun. The upside isn't very high. The most you win is $2,200, and it takes a lot of time. So I think it's hard times for Robert Williamson III, who you heard mentioned on the UB tapes that Travis McCarr recorded, or found, he distributed, that Russ Hamilton had recorded, where they... Talk about how Robert Williamson was hit pretty hard by the cheaters and uh, um, likely undercompensated here. Looking at Robert Williamson, um, yeah, he's just playing a bunch of small tournaments. He's a a number of little caches, but uh, he cashed in one of those on the 19th, on the 12th, then on November 29th, on November 27th, October 24th, October 17th. So he's a regular fixture there. He's playing these all the time. Uh, I'm scrolling down here. He did enter the World Series twice. He cashed this year twice, back to back days, the uh, or back to back events, the Deuce uh, to Seven event, 1500 buy in, and the 1500 buy in uh, PLO this year. But uh, other than those WSOP events, it's pretty much all $100 events for him. So. Uh, if you scroll down, you'll see it looks kind of a sad story for Robert Williamson. If you scroll down, you'll see that uh, while he did play a lot of the uh, smaller tournaments still in previous years, they were bigger small tournaments, like 330 buy-in, 550 buy-in, 1,000 buy-in. So he was playing like kind of the small to medium tournament type thing in uh, in 2009. 
and then you scroll down in 2004, you're seeing him playing, uh, you know, 10K events, 6K events, 3K events, more 10K events. Like, that's what you expect him to be playing. He still entered a few of, the, like, the 300 events here and there, but uh, you see a lot of big buy-in events there, and then now you just, like, all see all, all 100s. Uh, it's pretty sad, you know? Now, it is true that his total live tournament earnings is, like, $2.2 million which isn't very much for someone who's been regularly playing a lot of tournaments since yeah, a long time ago, since well over 10 years ago. So he's probably an overall loser in tournaments. That's probably the first issue. The second issue is he got ripped off on UB. Hmm. Poor Robert Williamson third. It's hard. I mean, it's, it's hard to know you were playing $10,000 tournaments and now you're trying to grind it out in $100 tournaments. It's hard. Especially if you've lost that money you made then. It's one thing if you made a lot of money, now you just can't make as much money. I mean, even I'm dealing with that, where I made more in previous years than I make now. I don't play as high as I used to play, but I'm not, like, playing really low. You don't see me, like, you know, $2, $4 limit hold'em after I was playing 400, 800 at one point. You know, you like, I, I couldn't do it. It's one thing to step down. It's another thing to step way down. But... I guess uh, Robert Williamson is still uh, living the dream. Forum were saying in chat that he shrunk more than ways, more in more ways than just buy-ins. Referring to Robert Williamson, he went from 400 pounds to 200 after a gastric bypass surgery. Maybe he actually lost his uh, poker skill when the weight went away. Maybe they accidentally extracted some of his uh, poker skill. I don't know. Hotshot74 saying, I've seen Robert Williamson in the pits playing roulette at the Monte Carlo a couple of years ago. Yeah, maybe that's what happened. There's a lot of ways that uh, you can lose in the gambling world. There's a lot of ways you can lose. It can be sports betting, you know, like a guy who wins and limit hold him and then goes three and five when he makes eight bets in the NBA. It can be Pit games, it can be playing above your role, it could be playing too many high buy-in tournaments, it could be just not being able to withstand the variance, which is part of bankroll management, of course. And another comment in the chat room from Reg Gamer, this is not Greg Raymer, but Reg Gamer says, Robert Williamson is... Obviously, negative EV. He's old school and doesn't grind online or compete at a high buy-ins live. Yeah, I mean, it's true. The uh, the older school successful players, if, if they don't keep up with the times, uh, they've got to watch out. You play the higher buy-ins now against some of these really good kids that uh, grew up on the Internet and played just tons and tons of Internet tournaments and became really, really good at them. It's It's hard to compete with them. It's funny how this story about William Hung became a story about Robert Williamson. might even be more interesting. Well, uh, here's a little New Jersey segment before we get to the editorial. Two things to talk about with New Jersey. The first thing is the Taj Mahal. Once considered a very desirable place to go in Atlantic City. Once considered a premier 
destination. I went to Atlantic City about 10 years ago, and uh, my girlfriend then said she wanted to stay at the Taj. I said, no, I heard the Borgata is better. She said, I don't know what this Borgata is. I want to stay at the Taj. Well, since I was the one paying, I overruled it and said, no, we're staying at the Borgata. And then when we went down to the Taj to take a look at it, she was very happy that I overruled her, what she wanted because <laughs> she's like, this is the Taj Mahal. This is a Trump property. This is a disgrace. In fact, there was a bum sleeping in the hallway there. Well, not even kidding. Well, the Taj is in big trouble. The Taj is definitely headed for bankruptcy. And um, to show you how bad things were, their online poker partner was Ultimate Poker. (laughs) And even Ultimate Poker didn't want them. Ultimate Poker terminated the partnership before they uh, closed shop. Anyway, uh, there's some news about the Taj, and it has to do with billionaire... Investor Carl Icahn. Carl Icahn has given $20 million. Not given, but he's investing $20 million in the Taj to keep it open in the short term. Now, of course, $20 million is not going to do that much for a large hotel like the Taj Mahal in Atlantic City. Uh, but but it, it'll hold off for a little time while they're uh, still trying to... Uh, prevent a closure. Uh, What happened was that uh, Carl Icahn was trying to come up with a deal where he would buy the Taj. But the talks, which were going well at first, uh, broke down. And uh, the thing that really got in the way, the thing that was really uh, killing the deal to buy the Taj, was his feelings about the union's the unionized workers at the Taj Mahal. Carl Icahn insisted that the unionized workers at the casino accept reduced compensation as part of the deal that he would be signing to buy the property. And um, he was uh, demanding about $14 million in concessions from the workers total there's about 3,000 workers at the casino and the union which represents most but not all the workers at the casino actually went to the state labor board to file complaints against Carl Icahn so this really messed things up and threw a wrench into the whole process and Icahn uh, started to change his mind and said you know what I I may not want to do this after all I I may just not want to bother with the tires it's too much trouble um, but still, despite this happening, he still put in $20 million because he's not ready to give up yet. He pledged $20 million to keep it open in the short term, despite what's happening here with uh, his fights regarding the union. Uh, in an unusual move, uh, Carl Icahn actually publicized a letter that he sent to Trump Entertainment Resort CEO Robert Griffin. And uh, he wanted everyone to see what he wrote to Robert Griffin. Usually these are private correspondences, of course, but he wanted everyone to see what he wrote to Robert Griffin so uh, he could show that that he's not anti-union. He was taking a lot of heat from people who thought that he was being a jerk, trying to uh, lower people's wages there. That He was being greedy and saying, hey, I'm only going to buy this if the workers here... Uh, basically starve. That's what people were accusing 
Carl Icahn of doing. And this is Carl Icahn's response to this. And of course, this is not this is not a forum post or anything. This is a a letter he wrote to Robert Griffin that he's also publicizing. Dear Bob, I guess he's referring to him in a uh, informal manner. I received your letter requesting further aid and assistance in your attempts to keep the Trump Taj Mahal open, and I would like to respond. I, tip, I do not typically shy away from a challenge. In fact, I take great pride in my ability to successfully rebuild failing businesses. As you correctly pointed out, a few years ago I took a chance at the Tropicana by investing when others would not, and today the Tropicana is profitable. It's a profitable, viable casino that provides stable employment for almost 3,000 workers. In addition to gaming, I've also had a tremendous success rehabilitating businesses in other industries, including oil and gas, metals, and real estate. But Trump Entertainment Resorts, Inc. is one of the most distressed companies I've ever come across in my 50 years of investing. (laughs) He's probably right. The company's hometown of Atlantic City is in the midst of an unprecedented crisis. Intense competition for surrounding markets is steadily eroding gaming revenues for the city's casinos. He's referring to things like uh, Foxwoods and other uh, East Coast uh, gaming venues that are now attractive enough to visit to where Atlantic City is becoming irrelevant to people who don't live in the immediate area. Before, that used to be the only place to go if you lived in the East Coast. Uh... At the same time, relative to those surrounding markets, the costs of operating a casino in Atlantic City continue to escalate. As a result, four local casinos shuttered in 2014, and a once vibrant Atlantic City institution, your Taj Mahal, loses almost $10 million every month. Wow. Despite all of that, and in part because of the tremendous integrity you have displayed throughout this difficult and arduous process, I took your letter to heart. I worked tirelessly with my team over the last few days, reviewing and re-reviewing the numbers you provided us, trying to find some way to help you keep the Taj operating. I also had countless discussions with representatives of the state and union, and at one point, I genuinely believed we were close to a global settlement. But ultimately, even though I committed to inject another $100 million of capital to the Taj, we could not get a deal done. Now, I want to be clear that I am in no way anti-union, as some may suggest. I grew up in one of the roughest neighborhoods in Queens, and I've worked hard every day of my life to get where I am. So I respect people who want the opportunity to work hard and better their lot in life, which is why I have often had a good relationship with labor leaders at the companies I own. It's also the reason why, despite some questionable decision-making from this union's leadership over the last few months, I remain hopeful that I will be able to reach a deal with them. That's funny. He's probably right about that, too. Uh, Even though I believe Atlantic City will be great again someday, many people would still argue that it would be a much better financial decision for me to let the Taj close and wait to see whether a global settlement can be reached. But I cannot be so callous as to let 3,000 hardworking people lose their jobs while a global settlement with the state and union, which would enable us to turn the Taj around, as we've done with so many other failing businesses, remains a possibility. Therefore, even though I have no assurance that the state will provide aid or that the union will drop its appeal, I will send you a commitment letter to provide you with up to $20 million of additional financing in accordance with your budget and subject to the terms and conditions contained therein to keep the Taj operating throughout the bankruptcy proceedings. And I will also commit to work collaboratively with the state and the city and the union to force to forge a global settlement that will bring real stability to the Taj and its employees. Sincerely, Carl C. Icahn, Chairman Icahn Enterprises LP. So, 
I think he's right. Uh, labor unions, in many cases, have gotten out of control. And this is going to sound like a political rant again, but look, uh, labor unions were necessary at one point a long time ago, long before pretty much any listener of this show was born. But as the years have worn on, uh, labor unions have developed a lot of problems. Uh, They have the problems of uh, often forcing workers to be overpaid for what job they're doing, which you could say, what's wrong with that? You know, shouldn't the little guy get paid maybe a little bit more? You know, why does it hurt to pay uh, a laborer a little more than he's worth? Isn't that good? No, because the money has to come from somewhere. The business can't survive overpaying everyone. So this is what happens when, when everyone's making too much money and the business is not bringing in enough money. You, there, there it goes. It, it, uh, it loses money and it, it, it closes. So um, not only do the unions force a lot of uh, employees to be overpaid, but also they, gratefully, they, they greatly favor the senior members of the union, the people who have been there a long time. If you've been at the company for 20 or 30 years, the union is going to do great things for you. If you've been at the company for one or two years, they're going to take your dues and do nothing for you. So it favors those with seniority way too much, way too much. And it makes it almost impossible to fire bad employees who have been there a long time. I've watched it happen. I actually had it happen. Uh, I didn't even post about this. I usually post about this type of thing, but I I didn't post about this. At the supermarket, I I had a cashier mouth off to me for no reason. Um, She was running the 15-item or less uh, thing in the supermarket, uh, lane in the supermarket. I had like three items, and a woman shows up ahead of me with like 80 items. I'm not even exaggerating. And she takes her. So I say something about it, and she starts mouthing off to me, like really mouthing off to me. I'm not saying I didn't attack her. I just I said, wait a minute, shouldn't this be 15 items? She started mouthing off to me that I need to learn how to have patience. Really nasty stuff. And she did this because she had a name tag saying that she's been there since 1987. And she couldn't be fired for mouthing off to a customer like that. So um, unions are this is what happens. Public schools are a disaster in a large part because you have teachers who don't care anymore and don't try anymore, and they've been working since you know, 1980, 1975, and they can't be fired unless they do something illegal or stop showing up for work. So uh, unions have gone from something necessary to have in this country to protect the rights of workers and provide job security to people who just want to uh, work a steady job and uh, be protected from layoffs and be protected from uh, firing of older workers to hire cheaper, younger workers in their place. These are all noble uh, noble uh, gestures. They're all noble uh, causes to take up. But unfortunately, they, that's not what unions do anymore. Unions just give uh, too much power to those who have been there long. They make it impossible to fire bad employees who have been there a long time. Uh, they force companies to overpay unskilled workers, and these companies end up going under. There's a lot of problems with modern labor unions. And even if, if in theory, you're a pro-labor union, if you saw what was really going on, you should be demanding they reform. 
And I know this also from speaking to people I know who work in labor unions and people who are non-political. I, I knew a girl, uh, in fact, I still know, it's a, a friend of mine who's a, a female in her 20s. And she's not political at all. She's not left-wing. She's not right-wing. She doesn't care about politics at all. And she works at a supermarket. And uh, she's a member of the union, but obviously being in her 20s, she hasn't been there that long. And, and she tells me the union sucks. She says they don't do anything for her. They take money out of her paycheck. Uh, the money they take out of her paycheck is more than, uh, you know, than, than they're making her by getting her a higher wage. And that whenever it comes to doing anything useful for her, they do nothing. And that they only care about the people who've been there a long time. And this is from someone who, as I said, has no political opinion about unions. Doesn't care about politics whatsoever. But um, and I've heard so many complaints like this from people who work union jobs. So you have 3,000 people, most of whom are part of this uh, labor union at the Taj. And they've come to expect a level of compensation that's much higher than uh, what is commensurate with their skills and with what uh, people working with similar skill sets and at similar jobs are making. Just because they're union, they're getting paid more. And Icon is saying, look, I'm coming in trying to rescue this hotel. But I, I, can't pay you, I can't pay you guys what you're making right now. You're making too much. If I try to pay you this much, we're going to go under again. So if you want to keep your job, everybody's going to make what you're really worth. You've got to make what your skills are really worth. Otherwise, this is not going to work for anyone. And I understand that. He's not trying to bust unions or anything. He's saying, look, let's be realistic here. The, the casino is making this much money a month. It's bringing in this much money a month. This is how much I can afford to pay you guys. And if you, if you don't like it, then we can't operate. That's what he's trying to say. And I agree with him without even seeing the numbers because I, I know how these unions work. So the sad thing is he's trying to keep the Taj open and he's not doing this out of the goodness of his heart. I, some of the letter is bullshit, obviously. He's not, uh, he's not doing this to be generous to 3,000 workers. What he's doing here is he's, he's trying to keep it open because it loses value if it closes. If it closes the doors and then he buys it, uh, then it has less value because people hear the Taj is closed, they don't want to come there. Even when it reopens, they remember it being closed and don't, don't realize it's come back. So you want to leave it open. If, so if he wants to buy this, uh, it is more valuable to him open than closed. So that's why he's injecting the $20 million, not to save jobs. But at the same time, uh, the rest of his letter is right. The rest, of, the rest of his letter is just saying uh, the union's out of control. It's part of the reason this place is failing. So the union's now trying to file complaints against him, and <laughs> he's still trying to put it together, but this might fail. This might fail, and if it does, then the union has itself to blame. And this is yet another example of how unions don't always act in the best interests of its employees. Because you know what, uh, they may be, they might make less under the agreement that Icon wants them to sign. But if if he doesn't, and the whole place closes, they're probably going to make zero. So. It's always harder to take a pay cut. It's hard to get used to a certain standard of living, a certain income, and then make less for doing the same job as years go on. You, you expect to make more as years go on, not, not make less. But when the times get crappy, the money has to come from somewhere. And if the hotel's about to close, you've got to say, well, look, would I prefer to make a cut salary, which is still good for the job I'm doing, or make nothing? I guess the union says they'd rather make nothing. 
or they think some they think some other white knight is going to come there. Uh, Blue Odom saying, and he's really saying it this time, not handicap me. He's saying uh, the Taj will close anyway. You watch. Though he is pro-union, Blue Odom, he says, sure, disband all the unions and the workers will be making $5 an hour. Unions are a necessary evil. If they could reform unions, if they could reform and, and stop being the way they are today, then I would support unions. I, I don't think corporations are generous to their workers. I don't think corporations are necessarily looking out for their workers or care about their workers. I know they don't. Their workers of corporations, with very few exceptions, are, are just uh, almost like a piece of machinery to the corporations. They, they don't care about the people working there. Uh, but at the same time, the modern labor unions are a disaster. They cause more harm than good. And this is an example of this. Uh, Forum were saying most service workers in casinos in Las Vegas are unionized. By the way, uh, if you've been to a casino before, I think like uh, the old Sahara was like this. I don't know what the uh, the new Sahara is going to be like, but uh, uh, the old Sahara was like this. If you've been to a casino before and you want to stare at some hot cocktail waitresses, if you say, well, I may be losing money playing blackjack, but at least I get to see uh, you know, a hot chick serving me alcohol while she's wearing a skimpy outfit and then the cocktail waitress comes up and uh, she looks like that she was last hot in the year 1966 that's thanks to unions because uh, these cocktail waitresses can't be fired if they're union cocktail waitresses and you, you have to let them keep serving the drinks and wearing these skimpy outfits when they're 75 years old I'm not even exaggerating you really would see cocktail waitresses in skimpy short dresses that are 75 years old and that's ridiculous. I mean, that's part of the job of a cocktail waitress is being attractive. That's it's just part of that job. There's certain jobs in this country where you, you know, you have to be attractive to have the job. You can't say equal opportunity for everyone. You can't say it's not fair to fire them. It is. So there's certain jobs where you just can't uh, perform what the job, the expectations of the job are once you get older, and that's that's one of them. So. Uh, <laughs> I mean, we shouldn't be subjected to seeing the 75-year-olds in miniskirts, but we are, thanks to unions. <laughs> so, uh, there, there's, look, if, uh, if labor unions would stop acting so much disproportionately in the interest of the senior workers there, then uh, they would have my support. Not that my support matters in the grand scheme of things, but they, they would have a lot of other support who are like me. But I've watched them operate, and they're really not operating. They're operating in the interest of a small percentage of the workers there. And that's not right. It's not, it's not helping the majority of the workers. I'm not cherry-picking the negatives, as uh, Blue Odom saying in chat. Of course there's some positives. Of course there's some good things to having a union. Of course, you have some protection from getting fired. Of course, you have some protection of get, from getting underpaid. Uh, but the truth is, uh, a lot of times, the free market takes care of the pay. It's only in unskilled jobs where it starts to become an issue. You say, well, how much is an unskilled laborer worth? And uh, unions push their salary up much higher than it really should be. 
And that's great for the unskilled worker, except then they have to pay union dues and, uh, and except in situations like this where it ends up harming the company, the whole company shuts down. But uh, this is, the way it's currently operating is not the solution. And uh, you could say change the union leadership, but it's not that simple. It's very hard to do that. And uh, they just, the way they are right now, it just can't continue. You can keep saying, you can keep, uh, you can list all the reasons you think unions are good or why they're necessary. But uh, the, the way they currently stand right now, it's, it's not a viable model. In fact, you're seeing a lot of failures, not just at the Trump. You're seeing this elsewhere. Uh, even uh, you see unionized grocery stores versus non-unionized ones, and the non-unionized ones are killing them because the union has pushed the cost of labor for these unionized grocery stores too high, and they can't compete. So you remember, you, the job has to exist, otherwise uh, you've done no good. The union has done you no good if they make the whole job disappear. If the whole company goes under. So anyway, I'm not going to go into a further rant on that, but uh, I agree with Carl Icahn here. I think he's in the right. I I don't think he's being as generous as he's claiming. He's not doing this for the good of the 3,000 workers, but I I think his basic stance on this is correct. And of course, nobody forces him to buy the tires. These are his terms. He's coming up and saying, look, this, this casino, even if you're pro-union, even if you're like Blue Odom here and who likes the unions, uh, Carl Icahn's not required to buy the tires. The He's volunteering to do it. And uh, so he can come and say, okay, I'm going to buy the tires with these terms. <laughs> and if they don't like the terms, then he won't buy it. So these are the terms he feels he wants to come in these are the terms he feels are necessary for it to be profitable. Otherwise, he doesn't buy it. There's no, there's no requirement he has to buy it. So I, I think he's being reasonable here without even knowing the full story. It looks to me from the outside, from what I know, I think he's being reasonable. I don't think he's being a greedy jerk who wants to cut wages and so he can make a ton of money rather than a lot of money. I think he's cutting wages so it can make money at all rather than lose money. Well, here's the uh, the last topic before the editorial. Party Poker New Jersey is adding a novel feature to their software in the year 2015. Remember, online poker started in 1999 with Planet Poker. I started playing in early 2001, also on Planet Poker. And when I started playing in February of 2001, I found a very, very advanced feature on there called the waiting list. (laughs) Yes, yes, a waiting list, where if a table is full, rather than just saying, oh, well, I guess I can't get in, you then click on a button that says waiting list, and it puts you on a wait list, and it calls you to the table when someone stands up. Not only is this a novel idea for online poker, but it's existed in brick-and-mortar poker games for as long as brick-and-mortar poker games have existed in organized card rooms. But for whatever reason, waiting lists have become unfashionable in the 2010s, especially since Black Friday. They've been disappearing. 
There were no waiting lists on Ultimate Poker. You see how well they did. There are no waiting lists on Bovada. In fact, in Bovada, it's even worse than no waiting list. If a table fills, it disappears in the lobby like it just doesn't exist. It just goes off in the twilight zone. And then the six people at the table play their own secret game of poker, which only becomes unsecret once someone stands up and there's a seat open. I'm really serious. That's how it works on Bovada. They're actually doing that to avoid the tracking sites from seeing how many players are really there. But uh, something I didn't know until recently is that Party Poker New Jersey also doesn't have waiting lists. And the strangest thing is it's not like Ultimate Poker, which just didn't program the waiting lists in because they made crappy software. Party Poker, which of course has existed software-wise since 2001 when it operated as just regular Party Poker. Uh, Now it's Party Poker Borgata running legally in New Jersey. They actually disabled the waiting list feature. You actually see the waiting list button, but you can't click it. There are no wait lists that you could have right now on Party Poker. But starting 2015, they're going to add waiting lists to Party Poker New Jersey. You can once again play poker after sitting on a waiting list and being called to the table. The theory as to why the waiting list was actually disabled on purpose from the Party Poker software for Party Poker New Jersey was an attempt to make it easier on the rec players. And I'm sure uh, the Spartan will like this segment because it was theorized that the only ones who liked wait lists were bum hunters, pros, who were getting on waiting lists only if the game was good. So let's say you see a full table of uh, nine people and you see a big fish there. You go, oh man, I wish I could be there right now playing with that fish. Well, then you can click the waiting list button and you'll be first up. So as soon as one of those nine leaves, you'll get to play with the fish, provided the one leaving is not the fish himself. And uh, so it was assumed that the ones utilizing the waiting lists would be the ones who were carefully game selecting, a.k.a. the bum hunters and pros, whereas the recreational players wouldn't want to bother with this crap and would just sit down in any open seat because to them every game is the same at the same limits. Well, that's flawed thinking, and I think Party Poker realized it. The problem with having no waiting list is that it's frustrating to people who want to get into games that are running when there's no other games running. So let's say a recreational player opens up the software and uh, at the limits he wants to play, he sees three running games that are all full. And the rest of the tables are either empty or have one person sitting there. So the rec player says, hey, I don't want to go to sit alone with some guy who's waiting there for me, like a shark waiting for his prey. I don't want that. I know what he is there. I I want to just play a regular full table game. That's where I feel comfortable. So I want to enter one, but they're all full. Well, if you can't get on a waiting list for this, you've got to sit and stare and stare and stare at the lobby until one of these opens up and then race really quickly to click on the open seat button before someone else does, who's also waiting at the same time. And recreational players get turned off by this. They, they don't want to go through all this effort. They just want to sit down and play. But if there's no games they can play, if the only ones running right now are full, then their only options are either to stare at the lobby until something opens and then rush in there and, cl- and click the right button as fast as you can and beat everyone else or not get in. So... I think Party Poker realized that this was frustrating a lot of people. It was frustrating pros and recreational players. 
frustrating the pros because obviously they couldn't get on the waiting list to sit in good games. It was frustrating the rec players because uh, they didn't want to go sit at the tables which were occupied by just one person. They didn't want to go play heads up. They didn't want the choice between heads up or uh, or stare at the lobby and hope a seat opens. They realized that rec players probably do get on waiting lists if that's the only choice. And that taking that option away makes the site less fun to play and harder to play. So Party Poker, and I agree with this decision, is adding wait lists in 2015. Again, I'm talking about Party Poker New Jersey, not the main Party Poker that caters to the rest of the world. So we'll see if that lasts. Finally, my editorial on what Caesars needs to do to survive. Now, what uh, Handicap Me said is the biggest thing they need to do, and that's restructure their debt. And I'm not going to get into that, but that's that's what they have to do first. That's the very first thing they have to do. This is almost like uh, when you need a triple bypass operation to live. And uh, you, you can't talk about what you're going to do differently in your life after the operation until the operation is done successfully and you live. So... Um, Caesar's triple bypass operation is coming up. They're they're restructuring the debt and the bankruptcy. And that is the most important factor in keeping the company alive. No question about that. So I'm not not questioning what Handicap Me has said. He's correct. But uh, there's not much for me to say about that. I've already explained what they're going to be doing. Uh, If it works, it works. If it doesn't, it doesn't. But uh, that doesn't make very interesting radio. But after that point, if they have successfully restructured their debt and now want to operate profitably and become a successful company, they have to find a way to operationally make money. They have to find a way to be a successful company after they've taken care of the debt situation. And I have become an expert on Caesars and their operations. I've watched it from many perspectives. I've watched this from the perspective of a casino player. So I've played a lot of video poker, and I've played some other uh, machines there. I've watched it as a top-tier member of their total rewards program. I've watched it as a frequent poker player at the World Series who's played many World Series events over the last 10 years. I've watched it from all these perspectives. I've watched it by posting on other forums where people discuss Caesars all the time. In fact, there's another forum that runs on Poker Fraud Alert server where the main topic is Caesars properties. I've watched it uh, from pretty much every way you can watch. I've watched it as a hotel guest staying in Caesars properties all over the country. I've really gotten to know that company very well. And I've watched where they've failed and where they've succeeded. I've watched uh, where they seem to be doing things right and where they're doing things wrong. I've watched from the point of view as a customer, as a consumer, what's good and what's bad. And I'm not talking about little customer service things. You know, you guys know me on this show and on the forum to always complain about uh, customer service irritations, I'll call them. Things that a lot of other people just kind of shrug off and say, oh, well, this sucks, but I'll deal with it where I as I'll make a bigger deal out of it. Now, I'm not talking about stuff like that, though that matters too. 
But Caesars Entertainment, what do they make? Uh, do they do they make a product? No. Are are they exporting anything? No. Caesars Entertainment is making money by having customers come to their properties, spend money on various forms of entertainment, and returning after being there because they had a good time and felt that they got uh, their money's worth. And that, it sounds like it's oversimplifying it, but that's the truth. If you have happy customers that are happy with their experience, both the price they paid and you know the value they got, and just their general overall experience, if they walk away saying, wow, I had a good time and I enjoyed myself here, they're going to come back. If everything's run very poorly, if they get a poor value for their money, if they feel they're being cheated or swindled, if they feel like uh, their concerns are not being heard, if they feel like there's too many hurdles or things that are a pain in the ass to uh, get past to be able to have a good time there, they're not going to want to come back. Nobody wants to vacation to also work. What I mean by that is uh, if you have to deal with a lot of stress on your vacation that is related to the vacation itself, you're not going to want to do that again. You go on a vacation to relax and have fun. Not to uh, fight with a hotel, not to fight with a casino, not to believe you're getting something and get something else. There's one common theme that Caesars has, and that's fail. When I say that, I mean that a lot of things they try to do ends up in some kind of failure, sometimes a logistical failure, sometimes a laughable failure from the point of uh, their expectations uh, business-wise, such as uh, investing in something that they think is going to make a ton of money and, in fact, uh, doesn't work out at all. First, I'm going to talk about some of the business-related failures, not operational or uh, customer service failures. I'm going to take one of the most glaring ones I've seen in recent times, the high-roller Ferris wheel. Now, I've enjoyed my time on the high-roller Ferris wheel when I've taken it. Uh, I took Benjamin there. He liked it. He's looking forward to going on it again in a few days when we're going to be back there. Uh... The, the high roller Ferris wheel, it, it's, it's a nice little diversion there in Vegas. It's not a wonderful must-do experience, but it's, it's, it's enjoyable. It's an enjoyable half hour. That's the way I'd put it. It's interesting. But it's not something epic. It's not, some, it's not a game changer. It's not a must-do. It's not something someone goes to Vegas really looking forward to doing. And it's hard to even picture, no matter what the concept was of this thing, that anyone would ever have seen it that way. And yet, Caesars spent a fortune on this wheel. They spent a fortune. I forget the number. They they spent a staggering amount of money on this high-roller Ferris wheel, which is a very, very, very advanced device. You step on that thing, you go in that pod that holds like 50 people. You know, like a normal Ferris wheel holds like, you know, two people, three people, four people. This one holds like like 40. And comfortably 40. It's like a, a big room spinning around in a Ferris wheel. And, and uh, it looks very expensive. It looks very well made. It looks very modern. 
It looks like a triumph of 2014 technology. And it is. But, but, it's just a Ferris wheel. There are many places in Vegas to go up high and look down on the Strip. So basically you're getting in like a room, a closed room that that's, goes 550 feet in the air in a circle and, and then comes back down to the ground. And you, you're up there for a total of 30 minutes. Okay, you know, interesting, but not a must-do. And uh, they were expecting that people were going to pay over $40 a pop to do this, which is crazy. Think about you know, 40 something dollars for, for half an hour in that, a thing like that. It's not like you have your own little private thing. It's a, it, it's a room with uh, up to 40 people in there. And they really believed it was going to be a hit. They, they actually built a waiting room with snaking switchback lines like you see at the amusement park. Because they're expecting to have to use it. But you go there on one of the most popular weekend, Friday or Saturday nights, and that room is never used. You just walk right through it. The whole thing was miscalculated. Apparently, according to a source, they are getting 10% of what they expected of passengers on the high roller in its uh, initial months here. And this is when it's relatively new. Imagine after it's been there for a while. Imagine after everyone's ridden it once and says, okay, I don't need to go back. So now they're handing out free tickets to it like candy. I mean, there's so many ways to get free tickets to that thing. I look around and I say, I wonder how many paying customers this has. It has some every night, but it's it's never going to recoup the amount of money they invested into this. And they, they did not do proper research. It's, it's one thing to if they got you know 70% of the expected ridership. They get 10%. How do you get 10% of the expected ridership? If you get 10% of the expected ridership, then you really screwed up when you analyze this. You had idiots analyzing this if you got 10%. 10% is so far off. It's amazing that someone could be paid to make that projection and get it that far. Get it that far off. I mean, like, I, I don't understand how you can make that bad of a projection because I'm not an expert on this. And if they asked me, I would have never projected it anywhere near where they're putting it. Just as an observer who, who, who just, you know, knows Vegas and knows what tourists generally want. But I haven't done any market research. I shouldn't know as much as the so-called experts. And yet the experts that they consulted, if they did at all told them they're going to be getting 10 times what they've really been getting. And they've made a huge investment in this thing that obviously isn't paying off. Now, the high roller is not the reason Caesars is failing. That's just one of many things. But this is the type of thing they can't do if they want to be successful in the long run. They have to understand what they're investing in. They have to really understand the market. They have to make sure to hire competent people who really understand what projects that they're proposing and who understand the market itself and what their likely response is and interest level is. And uh, they haven't been doing that. And this extends to all of Caesars, even from a customer service standpoint. I have watched employees at Caesars just go crazy because there's no interdepartmental cooperation there. Every little department's on its own. They're always passing the buck to each other. You, I end up at Caesars a lot in what I call an endless loop. 
where there's some kind of problem, I bring it to uh, who I think should handle it, and they send me to another department. And I'm already kind of frustrated as the customer, but I believe them. I go over to the other department, and they send me back to the first one. And then they send me back to the second one, and they send me back to the first one. And finally, I have to say, no, no, we're not doing that anymore. You know, Get them on the phone, and you figure out whose responsibility this is. This really happens. Not just to me, to a lot of people. Uh, there's, there's computer system is antiquated, has so many problems. Uh, it's, it's, uh, people are, are overcharged all the time. Uh, their comps don't work right. There are so many logistical failures that just annoy the customer to no end and also annoys the staff because they have to fix it. And there's a lot of times the computer system is so poor, it's, it's hard to even fix these things or even figure out where the problem is. I've, I've had disappearing reward credits where they just dis- disappear while I'm staying there, and I've got to have them track it down, and it's, it's been like a major job which people spend hours tracking down where my rewards credits have gone and finally find it and tell me I'm right. But can you imagine this, this use of, of employees there? Uh, the, the, whole, the sad thing is a lot of this could be fixed. If they brought in some consultants to, one, Interview a lot of people who uh, are, are part of are frequent guests or uh, or high level total rewards members and say, "Tell us what you don't like here. Tell us what you're experiencing here that you that you bothers you or that you're seeing is wrong. You'd like to see change." You'll hear a lot of the same answers, a lot of the same answers, a lot of the same things are bothering everyone, and yet they're not fixing them. You complain about something, a lot of the employees will say, "Yeah, we've had a lot of people say that." But does anything get done? No, because uh, they don't filter up properly. When you have the same complaints over and over and over and over again, and somehow it doesn't filter up to the right people to change it, and it persists this way for months or years, that's a big problem with your company. The general impression a lot of people have with Caesars Properties is chaos, confusion, failure, disappointment, over-marketing and under-delivering. And a lot of this stuff could be avoided. The Total Rewards Program, even though it's one of their most valuable assets and it is something good, it's something successful, it's something that people enjoy, it still has a lot of problems. Here's an example, uh, one of many examples. The total rewards, uh, you earn points towards your status for each calendar year. So on January 1st, your tier points go down to zero and you start earning them again. Well, they change the terms of the total rewards program every year. Sometimes they even change how many tier points you need to get each status. So you would think you'd know this starting January 1st, so you know what you're shooting for. So you, you when you're playing on January 1st, you go, you go okay, well, you know, I've got to make uh, 15000 to get diamond, uh, 150000 to get 7-star, blah, blah, blah. Well, would you believe this January 1st and last January 1st, you didn't know this? They had not released it yet? In fact, in 2014, they didn't release this information, anything about the Total Rewards Program, till March 1st. Why? Why? Why not tell people on January 1st what they're going to be earning towards? What they're going to expect if they make Diamond? How, to, how many tiers they even need to make Diamond? Why, why withhold this information until March 1st? The reason, I think, was incompetence. They just hadn't done it yet. They didn't get it done. It's like a kid who doesn't get his homework done. So uh, this is one of many things. I, there, there's a guy I know who uh, got Shell gift cards as, as part of a uh, promotion they had. 
They mail him the Shell gift cards. He goes to Shell, they don't work. (laughs) There are so many stories like this. There are so many stories where people are promised one thing, get another. People run into some kind of ridiculous uh, issue there, and it can't be solved instantly. Simple things that should be able to be quickly solved, they can't solve. Um, there, there's too many different hands in the same box over there and hands that can't cooperate with one another. It really is a case of the right hand does not know what the left hand is doing and vice versa. So uh, I can tell you that a lot of people have abandoned Caesars because of the persistent fail everywhere. They don't understand, to a lot of degree, why people play there, why people stay there. They do have some good things. But they don't understand some of the bad things that are driving people away. They just keep doing the same dumb things over and over and over again. And I don't mean little customer service things that I complain. I mean, I'm talking about the global picture here. I'm talking about the whole picture of what the average Caesars customer complains about. And a lot of dumb nickel and diming, too, that they shouldn't be doing. I'm not even talking about the resort fee. I know they were kind of forced into that because of the way the current market is. But uh, a lot of stupid nickel and diming that isn't getting them anywhere. JSTAT says the total rewards chief quit prior to March 2013. The staff is now running around with their heads cut off. I mean, this is true, too. The total reward staff knows nothing. I know more about the program than most of the staff members do there. I'm not even kidding. Uh, you, you go ask someone at total rewards, they'll give you a different answer every day. Nobody knows. Everybody's so confused. So many different departments there. The departments don't know anything. I, I, it's, it's amazing. I actually got to know the manager of one of the restaurants at Caesars, uh, which is actually nice now. Whenever I go in, he's very nice to me. And yeah, we... <laughs> We kind of bonded over this. We bonded over the failure at Caesars because uh, one of the vouchers I had to eat there was not working. And whatever we did, we could not get it to work. It was like a comedy. So uh, Gamblebot Chafe's penis said in chat, Druff, this shit will continue until it sells. They're so far underwater on their investment. Yeah, well... Uh, whatever it is, uh, there need to be major changes. And the, the good thing is, it wouldn't be that hard to do. Um, if I mean, I know I sound like I'm oversimplifying it, but let's—if someone appointed me, for example, to fix total rewards and get the fail out of total rewards and give the average total rewards player what they want and get rid of the crap people don't want, and yet not cost the company any more money, I could do it. I really could do it. But, but yet they don't. And not only me, like anyone who's very familiar with the program could do it with a mind for this sort of thing. It's not, like I'm not anyone special in that regard. So they need to stop making stupid investments. They need to stop just jumping at, oh, this seems cool, a big Ferris wheel, let's do it. Like, they, they can't just jump at these things. They need to fully understand the market when they're making major investments. And 
then they need to understand their customer base and what they want and what they don't want. They really need some market research there. They really need some research regarding their existing customers and really make some changes when they understand what the problems are. Otherwise, it's going to keep failing. If they keep, forget the debt. If the debt's all wiped out, they're still going to fail doing what they've been doing. So we'll see. The one really smart thing they've done in the past 10 years is the World Series. I said many times before that they bought the World Series essentially for $50 million and then bought it along with the with Binion's downtown and then resold Binion's and almost got it for free. They basically got the World Series for free through a very shrewd and uh, astute business move. They realized that uh, Binion's was struggling. Binion's wanted to sell. Binion's didn't realize how valuable the World Series could be. They bought it, sold off the property that was attached to it, took the World Series, and then marketed the hell out of it and did a good job marketing it. And now you have a very, very successful piece of that company, the World Series of Poker. Very successful. That was one of the rare moments of light in the last 10 10 years, which has been darkness for Caesars. So I don't know what's going to happen. I I don't see them changing much. I really don't. So Gamblebot Chafe's penis thinks it's the the private equity guys that are just not not knowing how to run the company long term. But honestly, uh, Caesars and Harrah's, before they even merged, they both had the same issue. And that was uh, good at marketing, poor operationally. So this has been a long-standing problem with both Caesars and Harris, which are now one and the same. You know when there's a marriage between two people and uh, they complement one another where one is strong, where the other is weak, and vice versa? And sometimes that can really be good because uh, one can compensate for the other's faults as a couple. Well, think about a couple where both people get together who have the same strengths and weaknesses. And that really makes them as a couple even weaker in the areas where they're weak. This is really what happened with Caesars and Harris. Now there's a conversation in the chat room about private equity, private equity firms. All righty. Uh, this is going to be the last show of 2014, as I mentioned. Let's see if we got any uh, texts before I close down the show. Let's see if we got any texts. No, nothing more. All right. So we'll be back on January 5th, 2015. And uh, no show next week. I've done a pretty good job with having a show every week for the last several months. I haven't missed many shows here at all, if you've noticed. I missed some at the beginning of the year. If you remember, last year we went uh, a period of time. Ah, boy. All right. 
You have to take a quick call here. Stop the music. Bad guy, what's going on? I just want to be on for the end, man. Oh, okay, okay. They'll turn down no, the... No, I actually want to do something. You want me to do something crazy to make it a holiday show? Well, I don't have that much time okay. here. I actually have to go here, but what, what do you want to do? The candle's burning. <laughs> Admit it. Admit it. No, this just kind of man. I want to. I want to say shalom, motherfucker. Okay. Okay. So yeah, here's bad guy. Final uh, show of 2014. Here's here at the end. Bad guy, a long time part of Poker Fraudler Radio, and uh, you know I think liked by most of the audience. There are some people who don't like the bad guy segments, but most people do. Most people like when you appear on here, and uh, you really are a, a good uh, comic relief element of this show. So. That's what I'm here for, brother. Yeah, I know that. So, bad guy, you know, maybe one day I'll meet you in person. Maybe one day I'll make it out to Vegas. And, uh, you know, you make it out to West Virginia, just not Vegas. So, we'll be back January 5th, 6.30 p.m., unless I'm late again, which is a good chance of that. And, uh, as I was saying, last year I I had a lot of bad things happen. First, uh, I got sick, and then I got sick again, and then I broke my ribs. It's a... I missed a lot of shows at the end of 2013, beginning of 2014, but uh, I'm hoping this year will be better. Hoping 2015 is the year of the drop, man. I hope so. I hope I hope the 2014 World Series suck, but I I hope 15 is a big one for me. I hope I can get another bracelet. I came so close in 13, but uh, hopefully I get that elusive second bracelet in 2015, and uh, and hopefully I, I stay healthy and do this show every week. And, uh, and hopefully we still have Bad Guy here uh, calling from Pittsburgh or West Virginia or wherever he is. You know, he, he outlasted Josie. Josie went off and got married and left us. But uh, Bad Guy stayed here. And uh, it's appropriate. I'm a loyal supporter, man. A loyal supporter here. And it's, it's appropriate. Even He's though I'm not in the uh, workers' club or whatever. The, the workers' party. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Well, the, the moment's coming here. Would you like to say it? Shalom, motherfucker. Happy Hanukkah.